Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Not too bad. Yes, all right, me lovelies. He's back. <laughs> feeling better, Clarky? Uh, feeling much better, coughing still too much, but other than that, bang on, ready to go. You sound so much better. Oh, I think I nearly died. You were pretty poorly. Oh, yeah, it was pretty average, but, you know. Mum sent me some lovely flowers and now I feel better. Oh, that's very thoughtful of her. She's a very mm. thoughtful lady, yes. Very <laughs> thoughtful indeed. So other than being crook as anything, any other news? Any other news? Hmm, not really because I haven't done anything. Oh, we, mm. we're back on the wine. That's nice too. Mm. Oh, that, that's a relief. Oh, that is a relief. Oh, the, the world is back in balance. We were yeah. A bit off I swear it was spinning off its axis for a while. After losing four kilos in two weeks. Oh, stop mm. it. Now I'm just jealous. Oh, see, as no, soon no, as you mention losing weight, Swanee gets angry. I know. That's a very foolish thing for me to say because I wouldn't want to have been that sick, that's for sure. That yeah, I lost sure. three kilos when I had it. Yeah, Yeah. now that we're better and we're thinner. Look out. The it's going to balloon. Yeah, yeah. You could have at least one little midriff or something for recording today. Oh, hang on like this? Show up your, 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 your lean, what's it called, your nice. gains. That looks more like a preggy belly to me. I'm still not sure. Kelly Lane if that's what you're wondering. <laughs> Right. <laughs> How are you, oh, Schmitty? I'm pretty good, yeah. I've done something to my back today, but other than that, I'm fine. Is it Shagger's back? No. no Newly wet Shagger's back. Gardener's back. Breaking oh, leaves. Gosh. Yeah, I'm becoming an old lady. And You've I've always got gardening. the old lady angle to take on all of the fun <laughs> things, haven't you? And what about you, Swanee? Well, I don't feel crash hot today either. <laughs> but you know what I think it is? Um, the fact that you've got two teenagers in the house now. Well, no, that's not it, but it does relate to that. So last night we went out for a dinner. Bit of party, yeah. Well, no, we went out and we had a fabulous Chinese dinner. But when I went to bed, my heart was racing. I was like, no one uses MSG anymore, right? You know, and every time, every single time we go out and have like, you know, we go out and celebrate with someone, we have like a, a, a real decent amount of Chinese because we don't really get it as takeaway. We but we went to a friend's birthday for one of their kids a couple of months ago. And I think I had the same thing. I think I must either have a reaction to something. So I didn't sleep. My heart was racing. And I have felt absolutely dreadful all day. And I couldn't really tell you what it was, but I've got about a million <laughs> symptoms, like a hypochondriac. I was like, oh, I think my, my vision's slightly blurred. Oh, I think my eyes are watering. Oh, I've got a headache. Oh, my heart's racing. I just don't feel myself, but I wouldn't say I feel sick. I just am, I'm off. Swanee, the symptoms of MSG poisoning are headache, flushing, sweating, uh-huh. face pressures or tightness, lack of feeling, numbness, tingling or burning in the face, neck and other areas, quick fluttering heartbeats, chest yeah. pain and feeling sick nausea. Whoa. Well, it's not that then, is it? No, <laughs> nothing. No, no, no correlation there at all. Tick, tick, tick. didn't have red cordial. Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are... Trial by, by wine. wine. <laughs> oh, sedate. So 
So good. Well, we have just established that all of us have an ailment, but that's all right. What are we drinking? Well, we're having a little Aldi Rosé, darling. We decided that we need to, we either need to drink less wine or spend less on wine. And so spending less on wine. Spend less wine. Hands down. So we're, we're having an Aldi rosé and it's not bad. What's everyone else drinking? I'm drinking a mango chutney. And hey. I'm only on, uh, I'm detoxing on water, I think, from MSG poisoning. But Flushing yeah. the MSG <laughs> system. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to tell today's story. So buckle up, my friends. That's what you might want to change your mind on just having a water, but we'll see how we go. Are we strapping on or strapping in? Strapping in. It's not, there's a little bit of nastiness, but mostly this story is about the shenanigans kind of that happen after the actual incident. Okay. So my sources for today's story are thesun.com. All that's interesting, abc.com, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Court TV, courtesy of YouTube, travisalexander.blogspot.com, thetroublewithjustice.com, investigationanddiscovery.com, dailymail.co.uk and the National Enquirer and cnn.com. And I also watched some documentaries, namely Jodie Arias, an American murder mystery. You need to calm down. That is a long list. <laughs> Remember I said that I got into this case and yes. I think I did two and a half weeks on this one, wow. which is a lot longer than I'd normally spend yeah, on yeah. a thing. But it'll come become clear why I did all that work. Okay, so it's one of those stories that seemed pretty straightforward at the outset. Mm-hmm. Certainly the way it's been reported in the media, it's consistent across outlets. So at first I wasn't sure if there was even enough in it to be that interesting. But that's when, she checked, that's when she checked that was when she checked every single source that was available across the <laughs> well, world wide web. Well, we've talked about this on many occasions. You get the same sort of thing over and over again and at face value there's nothing in it. And then every now and then you come across something that you think, hang on a minute, there's a bit more to this story than the, you know, normal national presses are actually pushing out there. And up opens the rabbit hole. Well, this is the way I described it. As with many things in life, once you take a closer look, you realise the neat package you've been presented with has a dented box, torn wrapping paper and a ribbon with a thread you just can't help but pull. Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> wow. So I'll just start by quoting Stephen F. Covey, who said, our greatest joy and our greatest pain come in our relationships with others. On June 9, 2008, the following 911 call was received by the emergency dispatcher in Mesa, Arizona. Now, I'm not going to play it from anything. I'm just going to read it or, you know, pretend I'm the characters, right? So the dispatcher, what's going on? The response, a friend of ours is dead in his bedroom. We hadn't heard from him for a while. We think he's dead. His roommate just went in there and said, there's lots of blood. The roommate then says, he's dead. He's in the bedroom, in the shower. The dispatcher tries to determine where the wound is and where the bleeding is coming from. The answer, there's blood everywhere. The dispatcher goes on to ask the callers if he was depressed. Mimi, who was the caller, says he was depressed as he broke up with a girl, but not not enough that he would have killed himself. The dispatcher, has he been threatened by anyone? Yes, he has. He has an ex-girlfriend who's been bothering him, following him, slashing tyres, things like that. Dispatcher, do you know the ex-girlfriend's name? Caller, Mimi, Um, um, to the others, do you know the ex-girlfriend's name? Back to dispatcher, her name is Jodie. The dispatcher instructs the five people in the house to leave the house immediately and the police are called. In the same call, uh, uh, Mimi clarifies the name of the ex-girlfriend is Jodie Arias. 
So, who was the man in the shower and who is Jodie Arias? Excellent questions. I was going to ask the same thing. Mm. Travis Victor Alexander was born on the 28th of July, 1977, in Riverside, California. What? Mm. To best describe Travis's upbringing, I'm going to quote what he wrote himself on his blog. My childhood, unfortunately, was very much like any child's that had drug addict parents. My father was never around, which left my siblings and I to the fate given by my mother. A good woman with the intent at an early age to be a loving mum. A few poor decisions changed that. As she progressively got more involved in drugs, she progressively got less capable of raising children. More commonly was a beating for waking her up. It hurt, but we got used to it. I learned how to turn so that when she hit me, she would strike my back and arms. The pain was less there. Travis describes in some detail the neglect and abuse he and his siblings endured at the hands of his parents, particularly his mother. But when he was 10, his father passed away and his grandmother took them to live with her. His grandmother introduced Travis and his siblings to the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, which provided Travis with more stability and care. And By the time he reached adulthood, he converted to Mormonism or Church of Elias and was successfully employed as a salesman with prepaid legal services. Prepaid Legal Services is a dodgy multi-level marketing company, Pyramid Scheme, where they sell legal insurance, but the money is, of course, in recruiting other people to sell and make passive commission on other people's work. Travis was very successful in the organisation and he had also developed himself as a motivational speaker. So actually, I think when we were talking, the story that you did, Swanee, you talked about people who came from really shit upbringings Mm. and some people sort of managed to pull themselves up and really make something of their lives and other people, you know, don't. Travis would be in that former camp, someone who came from not great great start, who then was a bit of a self-made man. He bought a house in Mesa, Arizona. He drove a BMW. He was successful with the ladies and well-respected in his church. He was actually, I think, a priest in the church or, I don't know, pastor, priest, whatever they call them. He had plenty of friends and was very driven to be successful. He looked after his health, was into martial arts and liked to write in a journal to keep himself on track. Jodie Ann Arias was born on the 9th of July in 1980 in Salinas, California. She had a pretty standard childhood, but when the family relocated to Wairaca, California in 1995, she started to misbehave a bit. She was 15, the new girl in town and... No surprise, bullied at school. Bit of an outsider, she took to smoking weed and ditching school. Her parents reacted by being extremely strict, which only exacerbated the situation, and Jodie gravitated to a man named Bobby Juarez, who was a bit of a recluse. She dropped out of school and moved in with Bobby in his trailer, having to work to support him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, he didn't work, so she actually had to, I think she took two jobs to support him. Academically, Jodie was very bright, so I know her parents didn't approve, which wouldn't have helped their relationship. But other than what sounds like a teenage girl looking for a way out of unhappy school and home, the situation was, to be honest, pretty unremarkable. Jodie eventually broke up with Bobby as apparently he was a serial cheater. She moved to Big Sur, California, and took a job working for the Ventana Inn and Spa. Her co-workers described her as a pleasant, down-to-earth employee, and again, there wasn't really anything remarkable. She did become involved with a co-worker, a man named Daryl Brewer, who was a bit older than her, quite a bit older than her. Daryl was a single dad and Jodie got on really well with his son and things were good for quite some time. 
In 2008, the financial crisis hit. Daryl and Jody had bought a three-bed, two-bathroom house and, a bit like now, the mortgage rate skyrocketed and their work in hospitality wasn't covering it. So Jody started to think about ways to earn more money. A friend of hers introduced her to the idea of, you guessed it, the fabulous MLM prepaid legal services. She attended some of the meetings and was encouraged to go to the big conference in Vegas. And the thing that gets me about these schemes is they promise all this wealth, but they also make you pay to stay in ritzy hotels and go to their conferences so that you can have the opportunity to meet people. Anyway, this one was at the MGM Grand, so I'm sure it wasn't cheap. And Jody ended up going with two other women who were in the MLM and she was sharing a ride with them and also the room. So, you know, the carpooling and saving on the accommodation because she really didn't have much. The conference started on the Thursday night and ran till Sunday. There are about 15,000 people at this event wow. as prepaid legal services was a big operation with offices across the country. I know, huge, right? To quote Rogers and Hammerstein, some enchanted evening. You may see a stranger. You may see a stranger across a crowded room or hotel lobby. And that is exactly what happened. Jodie was standing around talking to a bunch of pretty successful prepaid legal people when Travis made a beeline to her, introducing himself and then talking to the group. Over the course of the evening, the two of them just hit it off and talked and talked and talked till 4 a.m. Love's young dream. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Travis invited her to attend the executive dinner. She didn't really have anything to wear, but he got a dress from his friend Sky so Hughes. So she went naked? No, he got his friend Sky Hughes to lend her her dress, a person he, she'd never met. Oh. No, I just find it disgusting. Anyway, and like Cinderella, she was able to go to the ball. Cinderella could go. She was, I think she was about 26 at this point. And, you know, she's a small town girl. In Vegas, this big exciting conference, everyone's all strutting around talking about how successful they are and how successful you could be. And this good-looking, charming, seemingly successful and influential man shows you all this attention and you clearly fancy each other. It's a real meet-cute, you know, like it's – I could just picture it all. It's like something it out of a crappy horrendous. romance novel. Yeah. No, but, you know, like it, you could imagine yeah. her talking to her friends about it later, you know. Yeah. It's not quite like the meet-cute of Tony and I where I was outside in a dingy lane in Melbourne having a bag. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Travis was very smitten very early on, describing Jodie to his friends. I went from intrigued by her to interested in her to caring about her deeply to realizing how lucky I would be to have her as part of my life forever. She's amazing. It's not hard to see that whoever scores Jody, whether it be me or someone else, is going to win the wife lotto. The wife lotto? Is it a thing? No, I wasn't aware of the wife lotto and I thought to myself when I, I read that. it was your house. <laughs> no, well, I wonder if Tony thinks he got the jackpot or just the fifth division payout. I'm not sure. Anyway. I'm the equivalent of a scratchy. Like a scratchy. <laughs> I, got, I got two numbers and a sub. <laughs> I'm just like a $2 scratchy where you're lucky to get your money back. <laughs> oh, I won. Oh, okay. oh for, for goodness course. sake. We all need to, you know, have a, a little bit more self-confidence, don't we? bit more self-love in the room. We need to remember she was living up in California and he was in Arizona, so they were a pretty long way apart. So as things progressed between the two of them, they would meet up sort of halfway at Travis's friends, Chris and Sky Hughes. we're saying that she's having an affair because she's still with Daz, right? No, it's interesting. No, when she met Travis, she went back to Daryl and she broke up with Daryl. Oh, okay. Because 
Travis had actually said to her, it wasn't so much that she didn't so much break up with Daryl because she had this major hots for someone else. It was more that in all of this, and I'm going to say brainwashing because that's what happens in these conferences, right? Mm. You're there to be convinced about all your potential and all that shit. And Travis had said to her something along the lines of, if what you've got now isn't where you see yourself, then don't waste your time. So it was something like that. So she she sort of thought, well, yeah, no, this is not ideal. This is he's not- wasting my time. I, do you mind if I just pop downstairs? I've got an announcement for my family. <laughs> I'll be back in five. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's not quite where I saw myself or yeah. where I see myself. Going, it's <laughs> been not- good. Don't get me wrong. And it's not that I'm not thankful. It's not that I don't I'm love just you not all. Living but my I- best life. You know, <laughs> this is mm. not the- my best life. <laughs> it's not you. Come it's on. me. I've been to a self help. Correct. There's more to my life than this. You lot, you guys are all doing fine. Yeah, you keep yeah, living yeah. this shit life. Yeah. I've got better things to do. Yeah. Pretty much. I, yeah, yeah, I could do better. But so, yeah, so she went back and so she she wasn't having an affair, but so okay. they broke up and Travis was single. So Right. Well, that's good to know, right? Good, good, good. I'm I think clear he, on that. I think he was, yeah. So they started dating basically, but it was a long distance romance. Yes. And the way they'd managed it was they would meet up at Chris and Skye's house and they lived in California, but it was kind of equidistant. Yeah. And Sky's the lady who lent her dress. Yes, yes, yes. To think, oh, yeah. The Hughes's were pretty happy with how things were going. They thought they were a really cute couple and obviously very into each other. Well, at first, anyway. Mm-hmm. So after a while, friends of Travis's, aka the Hughes's and others, decided they didn't like The Jane. Hughes's or the users? <laughs> well, it depends on. Are these friends of theirs? In addition to the Hughes, are they all part of MLM? Paid yes, legal yeah, PP. What, what was it again? Prepaid legal services, so PPL, yeah. And are we saying the Hughes or the Hughes's? The well, their names is Hughes, but when I talk about them as a plural, being two of them, I'm saying Hughes's. Okay. Unless I'm saying Hughes's, I've done it before. <laughs> I know it. I remember, and it just, just got longer and longer and longer. I was like, God, I can't keep up. Chris and Sky. They decided that she was really possessive. They noticed fairly early on that she was more than just clingy. She didn't really like him being around other females and I think one of the housemates described at some point when she was in Travis's house that she she basically welcomed people to the house like she owned it or she was in it, like she had say over it. Well, in her mind she was his girlfriend. In point of fact, they didn't even like her describing herself as his girlfriend. You know, they were a bit like, uh, are you really? Well, did he like it? I think um, it's fair to say he was a little ambiguous at times about mm, what he actually like thought, Yeah, which led, I believe, led to what looked like her possessive behaviour because she wasn't really clear on where she stood. She knew where she wanted to stand. I don't, I don't believe she was always clear on where she stood in the relationship. Mm. They didn't really like how sexual she was either uh so she would there was one moment where she was in the hot tub with put it away love well, was it just her stop being so sexual so i think the overlay but the important there's no I tits out at the dinner table <laughs> jody she wasn't doing that she wasn't doing it's that. a lot jody it's a lot <laughs> We're going to need your hands on the table, not below the table. She had no issue with public displays of affection, but other people right. seemed to. But that's yeah. not necessarily the, the leap to sexual. Let, let me try and explain. There was a moment where she's in the hot tub with yeah. Travis and the Hughes's, and I read and this. And a dildo. No, no, but she got on his lap and started nuzzling him or something, and he was oh. like, hey, hey, cut it out. Now, 
People will think we like each other. So what we've got to remember here is that he's a Mormon. Mormon, yeah. yes. Right? I was going to say the church is. Mormon. He's a priest in the church of the, what is he an elder? Is that what it's called? When I you're don't know if Mormon? he was an elder. Yeah, he would have done because he did his mission. So, yes, he would have been an elder and he was at Church of Latter-day Saints, right? So, yeah. And they practice celibacy pre-marriage. Oh, do they? Pre-canubials. Yes. Mm. And it's a big deal that you are okay. celibate pre-marriage. Okay. So. His two friends, the Hughes slash Hugheses, um, they were also in the Church of Latter-day Saints. So her being affectionate to him in front of them, for him was like, no, 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 we, we can't do that kind of thing. So it's not so much that, well, I wasn't there, but they the way the way it's described from them, she's like throwing herself at him all over him and he was like he seemed uncomfortable with it but I can see why he would be uncomfortable it's all with relative. it not necessarily that he didn't like it cuz trust I mean, me he liked it I mean he might just be a prude it. Oh, he wasn't a prude and we'll get on to it. In the spa, maybe. In, in the spa, you know, in, in front of friends. other people. Yeah, in yeah. front of other people is yeah. the important thing. He's got a reputation to uphold. Mm. The friends didn't like her. And at one point the Hughes decided to tell him what they thought, so like a bit of an intervention, I suppose, at their house on an occasion when Travis and Jody were staying there. So imagine this scene. Travis has said to Jody, who's obviously sleeping in a separate bedroom because it's all in accordance with the tenants of the church, go downstairs. When I'm ready, I'll come down, I'll kiss you goodnight and, you know, I'll say goodnight. And so he stays upstairs talking to Chris and Skye and he doesn't come downstairs for a while. So she walks back up the stairs and as she's approaching the room, she hears them talking about her and they are telling him that basically she's inappropriate for him, not a good call, whatever. Well, for whatever reason, whatever reason they didn't like her. The way they describe it is they were horrified to discover Jodie eavesdropping at the door. Oh, as opposed to them talking about her. As opposed to having walked in on people talking about her, that's right. And she describes uh, Sky Hughes. How long um, was she at the door for? Who cares? Like she could have been there a minute, she could have been there half an hour. But point is you're talking about her. But what made me laugh was Sky Hughes said, oh, you know, she gave me this look and it was pure evil. Oh, seriously? If I, would I too. exactly, you know, like in that situation, I think I would have done more than give him the side eye. Yeah, Recounting. I would have cried. It was awful. Yeah, you would have I cried. Would have, oh, for sure. I would have got caught in my throat, then cried and been embarrassed and it's tried to awful. let them not know that I saw them, heard them talking about me. Yeah, yeah. Awful. I wouldn't have to deal with that. But also, this <laughs> other person I can't remember who it was said she recalled a time when Jody was in the kitchen. Yeah. And Sky spent about an hour telling her that no one liked her and that she should break up with Travis. And this person says they were preparing food or something and Jodie was playing with the kids and she was just sitting there listening. She never said a word until Travis came in and eventually they left. And to your point about crying, how humiliating would that yeah. have been? And you're say. in someone else's house and, oh, and Their house, your, yeah. your boyfriend, all your friends are your boyfriends telling you you, you need to get out. Oh, it's awful. She actually, Sky then went on to say what that. What was he, he saying? Is he supportive of her or not? Yes. So 
at one point Sky said, oh, Travis, I'm afraid we're going to find you chopped up in a freezer because, you know, they're playing this angle of Jodie being really possessive, right? So when the direct approach didn't work and these interventions didn't work, they sent Travis an email. So instead of attacking Jodie or talking about her behind her back, they went this approach of telling Travis that his behaviour as a womaniser was terrible. It was really upsetting to Jodie. Jodie's clearly in love with you and you should break it off because you're treating her really badly. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. His response to that was, you've put this idea in her head and now she can't imagine that I'm not a bad guy, which is, I suppose what he was trying to say is now you've actually made it worse because now she's even more paranoid that I'm a hound dog, thanks for nothing kind of thing. So it wasn't great in terms of the dynamic between his friends and Jodie and Travis. And this is only in the first few months of the relationship. So the Hughes seem to have quite a vested interest, don't they? Interesting, mm. yeah. I reckon mm. they're after a threesome, Missa. No, it'll be business. It'll be PPL related. Yeah. That's a good call, Swanee. Okay, so the other thing that happened was about two months into the relationship, Jodie converted to Mormonism and Travis himself actually baptised her. She was so into him that she was quite happy to commit to the religion. So, look, with all of this going on, and I think she probably was uncomfortable getting mixed signals from him, they did break up. Oh. They had a kind of tumultuous, they'd probably, I reckon, three months, three good three months, and then things They sounded went. a bit love on the rocks anyway, despite Well, it was all, look, to be honest, it was all... It's very difficult. Long-distance relationships are difficult in the first place. Like, they travelled all around. They'd had a lovely time. They'd taken she photos. She did convert rather quickly. I was just thinking been, three that months. That seems to have been dealt with as a priority, and I don't mm. know whose priority it was, whether it was his, the friends, or Jodie's. It feels like that was a box that needed to be ticked. One of the first things he asked her was what her faith yeah. was. Right. And yeah. I think she said something along the lines of... George Michael? I'm, this, but I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I think it's I'm a, open. I'm yeah. open. I'm I'm, open I'm, I was born this or I was that, but I'm not really... Yeah, yeah. She actually right. dabbled in a few things. So I think she looked into Hinduism and Buddhism, and but, but she oh, wasn't wow. practising anything really. No, no. And, yeah, yeah. and she said, I'm open to it. And he so said, in that case, she probably said she was spiritual. Yeah, well, <laughs> his his response was something along the lines of, your best answer could have been that you were in the Church of... Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. But your second, your answer was actually the second best, right? But he also was very intent on getting married. Right. So he could have sex. No, he had this thing about, because he was 30 at the time, and he had this thing about by the time he was 31, he really wanted to be married. He had this this sort of number in his head. A time, a time frame. frame. Yeah, and I think she was aware of that and I think she was the conversion and all that was all trying to do everything to get him to be as into her. Like he was into her physically but she wanted him to feel the way that she felt and so she just did everything. So they could be together forever? Yes. So they could. Be, she, she was besotted by him, absolutely. So whilst Travis was making out to everyone that he and Jodie were nothing anymore, they were still in daily contact. Over the course of two years, so from the time they met to when things happened, they exchanged 82,000 emails. What? What? Mm -hmm. And they were hooking up to and enjoying a raunchy phone sex. In how long? Two years. About two years, yeah. 82,000 emails. That's one question. Yeah, yeah. The way that Travis has been described is that he's a bit of a, and I don't know if it was just a Hughes saying it, that he's a bit of a player, that he's a bit of a ladies' man, that he's not doing the right thing by her. 
But on the other side of the coin, we're talking about the fact that as a Mormon, he shouldn't be having sex before marriage. Are you do you are you aware if he was out having sex with other people other than Jody, he he wasn't celibate, right? Oh no. No, 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 I didn't think so. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. So, and, it wasn't just, and it wasn't just Jodie. At other points there had been other women, right? Yeah. There was a woman called Diana who he'd been yeah. with. Diana! Yes. Diana! Before he, or Diana, sorry, before, before he Jody. went out with Jodie. And then there's another girlfriend after Jodie called Lisa who we'll get on to. Yeah. And then he's trying to snag this woman called Mimi. But I know, I'm pretty sure he slept with Diana, Jodie and Lisa. Okay. And at times... He was sleeping with Jody when he was sleeping with these other women too. Yeah, so he's not just a good boy waiting to get married and whatever else. He's doing. He, he's sort of projecting one thing probably to certain people who might be more God fearing and more churchy, or more and judgy. Then mm. Yeah, more judgy. Mm. And then there's the other side of him, which is to just like any other sort of guy that age. That age, that's right. Out yeah. about. Yeah. So yeah. not doing it wrong, just sexually active, shall we say? Is, in relation is anyone to judging them for sending a hundred emails a day for two years? <laughs> you did the math, did you? Yeah, hundred percent. I had to. That was freaking me out. Hundred emails a day. Block your ears, Calorie that, did that's math. More, that's, that's a full time job. <laughs> And it sounded like he enjoyed it too. Oh, my God, I have another nightmare. Me and my math nightmare. Okay, yeah. That's more than a full-time job, isn't it? That's what I reckon. Yeah, it was pretty full on. Okay, not one to be deterred by a breakup, though. Jodie, who had, as we know, been living in California, moved to Mesa, Arizona to be closer to oh. Travis. Yes, oh. after they'd broken up. Oh, no. This is bad. Well, to add to the narrative that she was a stalker, Travis complained to his friends that she'd let herself into his house, sometimes through the doggy door. So he had a dog and he had a dog door. So sometimes she would allegedly crawl through the dog door and sleep on his couch without his permission. He accused her of stealing his journal, hacking his email and Facebook, sending emails from his account to hers, so forwarding on emails of his. Some of those hundred. I was going to say, so he's doing what? 200, yeah. 100, 200. He, he only sent three a day. She sent yeah. seven. Yeah. He's busy. Yeah. Sending emails to his then girlfriend, I, th- I think that one was Lisa, slashing his tyres and those of the girlfriend. Did she change her name to Alanis at this stage? That's what it made me think yeah. of, particularly the going into the house yeah, without yeah. permission. Yes. And I, I the whole time I'm writing this, I'm here. thinking, yeah. I better go soon. <laughs> and it wasn't my writing. Would you forgive me, love? That's a great song. Would you forgive me, love, if I dance in your shower? Would you forgive me, love, if I lay in your bed? bed. (laughs) I don't know this song. It was the second song at the end of the album. Off Jagged Little Pill. cracking song. They were all brilliant. But she's a massive stalker. Oh, God. And I was thinking that. The reason I didn't really go down that line is I'm not buying the narrative entirely, so which no. you're probably picking up on. Yes, yeah. Yeah, certainly his tyres got slashed and so did the girlfriends, but he didn't report any of this to the police. However, there was also no evidence around a lot of the accusations. She did admit to having his Facebook password as he'd given it to her, but not to anything else and in particular denied slashing anyone's tyres. And it is worth noting that the ex-boyfriend of the woman he was seeing had some priors and could also have been going around slashing tyres, but no one seemed to think about that or worry about that. It's very complicated, isn't it? His girlfriend left him mostly because his ex-girlfriend kept hanging around and I read somewhere that he was also in contact with Deanna, whom he'd been going out with when he met Jodie, and he cheated on 
her with Jody, and I'm not sure, but he might have also been going back to Deanna at the same How time. How many emails was he sending her a day? I don't know. Okay. Why would we? Why would we investigate anything? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. At the same time as he's telling everyone she's basically Glenn Close, he's also sending her explicit text messages, yep. which really do have a bit of a Dom sub vibe. Here's one of them. You'll rejoice in being a whore that sole purpose in life is to be mine, to have animalistic sex with and to please me in any way I desire. And you are the ultimate slut in bed. Eventually, though... Jody started to accept that he was never going to treat her as anything other than a booty call, even though she'd converted and seemed to do anything that he wanted. In some of their exchanges, when he was angry with her, he said some, in my opinion, extremely vile things, notably calling her a three-hole wonder, a skank slut. <laughs> a three-hole wonder. I was just... I just can't, right? Accusing her of doing psycho things and just being pretty nasty to her, really. From what I've read, and there is a lot on this case... She would basically apologise, say things to flatter his ego. He'd get over it and then he'd be nice again. And I think she said something along the lines of, when he was nice to me, it made me feel really good. So I went out of my way to try and make him be nice to me. me. Yeah, yeah. It it appears to be in this whole cycle of behaviour that he he holds all the cards. She's mooning around after him and when it suited him, he'd use it for sex and ego bolstering. Yep. Yeah. yeah, not to say we've all been there because we haven't all, you know, stalked people on that. But we've, I've certainly had situations where my affections for someone were much greater than theirs, and so they've got the power, and yeah. they've not been particularly good. And it turns you crazy. It does. So I'm not justifying whatever is to come, but sometimes he's portrayed as this absolutely perfect, great member of society. He's done nothing wrong. He's the absolute victim, and I'm not. You're trash- totally using her. Well. Yeah. As like a little, you know, as a sort of like rough sex on the side kind of thing while he's portraying himself as, you know, the man of the church and man of PPL or whatever else. So all that stuff that he's saying to other oh, she's a little bit crazy. Oh, she's doing this, she's doing that. But in his own mind, he was enjoying it because he could dominate her, make her feel worthless or whatever else and still get his rocks off. Sometimes he'd be annoyed with her for sneaking into his house. Other times he'd take her upstairs and have sex with her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah, mostly yeah. annoyed with her when he was on the couch with another girlfriend. <laughs> and she and she yeah, climbs enough. in the doggy, doggy door. door. <laughs> yeah. And the other, oh, you embarrassed yourself. Yeah, no, what get the fuck, Jody? You could have knocked at the front door. Jesus Christ. Jo- oh, I uh, tell you what, well, you have more well, success in the front door than you will the doggy door, doll. Walk in, not crawl in. <laughs> it's part of the reason that Lisa left him because she's like, um, "What's with this woman? What's who's with just your dog?" Very weird. Right. So eventually around March 2008, after nearly a year of hanging around hoping he'd realise he loved her, whilst Travis was out there shopping around for a good wife that would fit his LDS and PPL image, Jodie figured she should get some distance and hopefully some self-respect and she moved back to California to live with her grandparents in Wairika. Of course, they were still in contact though and had engaged in some sexy time in April 2008. What? So they were still... Hooking up, even though she moved back to Wairika in California in the Did March. Did she go back to Arizona for that or was that like he an He visited her gift? too. Oh. Uh, so it wasn't like she was like... driving there, climbing in the doggy door, waiting in his bed till he got <laughs> home and then they'd do it. He was going. Yes, when she was. So for Sometimes. about. So they broke up in about Surprise. May, I think, 2007. Right. And so between May 2007 and March 2008, yes, she was climbing in the doggy door going, surprise, and being around all the time wanting his attention. Then 
she moved back to Warika in March and but apparently but but by her testimony she said she did hook up with him in April. So she had some Note to self, call. if you've got to climb through a doggy door to No, no, he let her in that time. It wasn't, no, she no, wasn't but, in the doggy door every no, single time. No, no, but I'm just saying if if your relationship gets to a point where you've got to go in the doggy door <laughs> to catch up with someone, it's not working. Well, she certainly never admitted to that. That's a red flag. She never admitted to going through the doggy door. No, this is what he told his friends was happening. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. So I, I'm not sure that she's ever said, oh, yeah, no, it was, I lost my key. I just, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that that's a, a red flag to go, this relationship is not right. Oh, this relationship was not right. Don't you worry. But you you are correct that that would have been a bit of a clear signal. Mm, right. But also he didn't say, get out of my house and never come back and then stand by that. Do you want to know the weirdest thing? No. Is well, it's not. No, there are so many weird things. I was going to say, there's so many weird yeah. things about to come around the, around the corner. But also, his housemates and his friends and all the rest said that when he was home, he never locked the door. So why and she, she still went in the doggy door? Oh my lord! Well, I suppose he mustn't have been there. And is so she little? Why she went in the doggy door? Like she can't reach the door handle. Five foot six. Oh no, she's bigger than that. Okay. She's five foot six. Yeah. 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 Who was he living with, Schmidty? Sorry, he had two housemates. Okay. Did they see a climb in the doggy door? No, I don't think so. They didn't like her, though. That, and the, no, the woman no. who left him didn't see her climb in the doggy door? She might have. I think Lisa might have right. been the person who said that she'd just show up. I am not. Sure, I don't know who said the doggy door thing. Yeah. Lisa definitely said she'd just show up. I think Lisa might have even said one time they fell asleep on the couch together and when they woke up she was standing over them, like she was there standing Ooh. up. So, And I think that's where the idea of the doggy door came along. Then Travis met a woman called Mimi who he thought was the right fit for his image. Mimi's not a... Shouldn't be a name. It's a nickname. I can't remember what her real name is. He pursued Mimi for a bit and invited her on a work trip to Cancun with oh, Chris and Sky Hughes. What a coincidence. Oh, the Hughes are back. Because it was a PPL thing. It was one of those oh, conferences. Yeah. Mimi decided she just wanted to be friends, but as the trip was already booked and she was down as travelling with him, Travis said, fine, we'll just go as friends, come anyway. And at this time he was also thinking back to a past girlfriend, Lisa, who he decided he wasn't quite over and, you know, she was probably the perfect person. This is the one he'd seen after Jodie, but he was still sleeping with Jodie on and off too. Um, He seemed to be very occupied for his quest for a wife, as I said, because he decided to be married or at least with his future wife by July 2008, which was his 31st birthday, and he wrote all about it on his blog, so he wasn't secret about that. So there is a, a blog post in there. I think it's called Why I Want a Gold Digger. But what he's talking about isn't a gold digger from someone after his money. Someone who finds digs for the gold within him, I think, is the uh, essence of his his post. Anyway, I'm not. Look, he's just a normal thirty-year-old, right? He's like, I'm I'm not. If if people have to go digging for the gold inside you, there's something wrong with you. What my point is, I'm I'm not a fan, but also he's not a monster in any way. He's just a flog. He's just. Bit of a flog, yeah. You're like he's just an ordinary kind of player, really. But he's, he he is interested in getting married, so he's, he will settle down at some point. That's his plan. He will, will he? That's his plan. Once he has his baby at 31 or whatever. No, because his grandmother had had grandchildren or children at 31, and that's why he decided he was too old to continue just being single. So anyway, around this time, so I think we're in might be May. 2008, texts and emails between Jodie and Travis suggest that they had some kind of a fight 
with Travis calling Jodie a sociopath. As opposed to just a whore and a... It's like the three-hole wonder. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> three-hole wonder. Think, gosh, things have really taken a turn, haven't they? Which, which <laughs> three-holes is he referring oh, to? Her uh, ears. Her nostrils. Yeah, no, her nostrils. That's four already. Well, he even said at the same time to some of his friends, don't be surprised if you find me dead one day. Uh, um, well, of course they're going to one day. Like, you're going <laughs> to live forever, you idiot. <laughs> Okay, all right, settle, settle. And around the same time, Jodie had a bit of a budding romance hap- happening with someone else. It was a new thing that had just started with a guy called Ryan Burns. And, the, and Ryan, she had met at a conference in Oklahoma in April 2008. They hit it off and were talking on the phone a few times a week, getting to know each other, and they agreed that Jodie should go to Utah in early June to attend a conference. I swear all these people do is go to conferences. Conferences, um, yeah. And to see Ryan. And they're she religious to... conferences or PPL conferences? No, this or is PPL. PPL. I think, and I could be wrong, but I suspect a lot of the people involved in PPL are also in the Church of Latter-day Saints. But it's not a religious outfit. She was supposed to be there on the 4th and 5th of June for the conference, but as it turned out, she only managed to get there on the last day of the conference on the 5th. She had a total nightmare journey. California to Utah is a long old drive, made worse when you go the wrong way and end up having to sleep in your car, which is what Jodie said happened to her and why she didn't get to see Ryan until the last day. I also read that she'd organised to go to some other places to make it look like she wasn't just going to Utah to see Ryan, so she didn't want to look desperate. God forbid. Not again. No, that's right. She hit the road on the 3rd of June and when she eventually arrived on the 5th of June, after all this direction mayhem and whatever, she and Ryan enjoyed each other's company at the conference and they exchanged some steamy kisses and cuddles. On the 9th of June... Friends of Travis, who he hadn't seen or heard from for days as he wasn't responding to calls or texts. In fact, Mimi, the one that was going to Cancun with him, she decided to go around his house to see if everything was all right. And Travis didn't live alone. He had two housemates. Although, being a house of men, they didn't actually have much to do with one another. Apparently, they also didn't answer the door unless they're expecting someone. So when Mimi went around about 10 o'clock and no, no one answered the door, just knocking on the door. So she rang some other friends and they managed to get on to another ex-housemate who knew Travis's garage door code and they let themselves into the house through the garage door. They noticed that when you walked into the house, you go through the garage and there's a den there, I think, and then you go into sort of the main living area. There was a carpet cleaner, like a carpet shampooer, in the middle of the room and all the furniture had been pushed back like someone had lifted the furniture up and the rugs out the way to clean the carpets. Calling around for, for Travis with no response and after opening a dog gate that was left on the stairs and going up, they found his bedroom door locked, which was unusual. They eventually managed to get one of the housemates, Zach, who apparently was in a bedroom just on the other side of the landing, so I'm not quite sure why he didn't hear everyone walk into his house he was with his girlfriend they were watching a movie apparently oh one of those he was able to find a key and he let them into the bedroom the master bedroom is on the top floor to the left of the landing so as you walk up the stairs it's to the left and when you walk into the master bedroom it's a big room uh, as sort of Directly ahead of you is the door to a large walk-in robe and then just before that and turning right is a hallway and both you can walk through to the bathroom via the walk-in robe and the hallway which run parallel to each other. So they go in there and the first thing that Zach sees is a, is a bit of a blood spatter mess at the entrance to the hall. So it's on the carpet 
but it also follows. So he goes along, he sees blood on the carpet, he sees blood on the hallway. I believe he goes through the walk-in robe, through to the bathroom where he finds Travis's body in the shower. Travis's body was sitting on the in the tray of the shower with shower recess. Yes, thank you. Sitting in the shower recess with his head sort of to the side and down Mm -hmm. and his legs were sort of drawn up a bit. So if you imagine if you were in the shower and you sat down, your legs are folded up a bit so that you can fit everything in. A position kind of thing. Sort of, yeah. Sort of like this. But sitting on your bum. Yeah, yeah. More sitting on your bum with your legs up. Not up in the air but bent knees but legs up, yeah. yeah? Now his face was grey. And there was blood pooling that suggested he'd been there for some time. But the housemates said that they never noticed any smell of decomposition and there were no bugs or flies on the body or in the room. No things gathering? No things gathering. So this is the graphic bit. Get ready for it. His body had sustained 27 stab wounds to the back and to the chest, a gunshot wound to the head and a knife wound across his throat so deep as to cut through his windpipe and both the jugular uh, and, and carotid yeah. artery. Oh, God. Okay, that's the bad stuff. I figured I'd pull the Band-Aid off quick. Can I ask a question? <laughs> yes. The gunshot wound to the side, front, rear. Above his right eye. Right. Oh, like, oh, two inches above his right eye. What, what do you call that bit? Sort of the top of your forehead? I don't know. I'm not Frontal I'm not lobe? Actually... Yeah. No, no. Your forehead? Well, forehead. get on to that. Yeah, well. your forehead, yeah. Yeah. So I started with the 911 call because there's a theme from this point on. Enter stage left, Detective Esteban Flores or Esteban Steve Flores. Oh, that was impressive. (laughs) According to his investigation report, which I have read, on entering the home, he and his colleagues immediately noticed the smell of decomposition. (gasps) Hmm. Right. Now, the housemates have been in and out of that house. So this is the 9th of June. They decide that Travis was killed on the 4th of June. So he's been five there five days. days. And where was Travis? The shower. The shower recess. No, no, what suburb bedroom. or what? Mesa, Arizona. So she could have gone California, Arizona, Utah. Is I'll that on the way? I'll get onto it. Oh. Get, no, it's not, but I will get onto okay. it because the crux That's of the case is believe. all around yeah. whether or not yeah. she did that. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So they interviewed the people at the scene, including both housemates, were quickly satisfied that their alibis of them being at work or out with their girlfriends put them all in the clear. As the scene was photographed and inspected, they found dried blood on the floor of the bathroom, the bathroom vanity, the shower where he's found, next to the shower as you look at the water wasn't running, I take it. No, no, no. No. But the shower area was clean. So there's no blood spatter on the walls of the shower at all. The only blood you see is when the body has been removed where it has been seeping into the recess. Oh, okay. Sorry, Swanee. There is blood seeping. all. It's like leakage. There's blood, there's blood on the bathroom floor tiles. I think leakage is worse. Yeah. There is no blood on the bath, which is directly next to the shower. So you've got the shower and then you've got a large bath all on that side of the bathroom. There's absolutely no blood on a very big white porcelain bath and its side. Across from the shower is a double vanity. 
the, the part of the vanity on the right-hand side is the closest to the shower. That has got blood all over it, not very much blood on the left at all. Mm-hmm. So just to give you an indication that's, of the That's quite feasible, though, isn't it, depending on the direction If he's walked out of the shower lens. and gone to the vanity? Yeah. No? <clears throat> no. Right. Well, yes and no. So yeah, Thanks for clarifying. You know how it was called, the, that, that <laughs> documentary was called Jodie Harris, An American Murder Mystery? Yeah. The mystery is in what happens because we don't really know. No, but what I'm saying is that if, let's say his jugular was cut, it's feasible that that would all go in one direction, not in a 360. It is feasible. It would also be spurting. Yeah, yeah, correct. And he's clearly not cut himself. But what I'm saying is it's okay. I could could see a point where he did die. His throat wasn't cut in the shower. only went. His throat wasn't cut in the shower. Okay. The blood patterns, and I'm not a forensic, but I've read other people who've looked at this who are forensics who have said, like, what? There is not enough blood for a start in the bathroom, in the hall, to indicate that his throat was cut first and he's died from that. Yes, but so we're assuming that he that's, there was some clean-up done. Is that right? So let me let me just tell you the story okay. before you start to try to solve it, okay. okay? It's very hard to do. You've got to spot the short and curlies here. I'm not, so, I'm not okay with this. I just want you to know that. So that's fine. I'm not okay with it either. So as I said, the hallway leading out of the bathroom to the master bedroom and on the carpet at the edge of the hallway of the tiles, notably that's where the blood was. Notably they didn't find any blood at all in the walk-in wardrobe, which you can pass through. Yeah, no right. blood at all there. Yeah. Along with the blood evidence, they found some long brown hairs in the hallway. Jody has had uh, about three months earlier dyed her hair back to brown from blonde. Blood smears on the hall, walls of the hallway, a .25 caliber bullet casing that was lying on top of a pool of dried blood, a bloodied T-shirt, a bloodied towel in the washing machine downstairs, and a digital camera also in the washing machine. Digital camera in the washing machine? I'll, I'll get there, I'll get there. There was also a shoe print in the blood, in the dried blood, very close to, I think, the shower the corner of the shower. Anyway, whilst the scene was being processed, Detective Flores was con- contacted by Jodie, bizarrely, who explained that she'd been away but she was a very close friend of Travis and she'd do anything she could to help them. She said she'd been informed of his death by a friend and had heard there was lots of blood. She attended the police station and happily gave her prints and DNA samples for the purposes of elimination. She Remember, she whether she got in by the doggy door or was invited, she definitely had been in his house on multiple occasions so there's nothing surprising about any of her DNA hair or being whatever there. samples being there, right? She'd even been his cleaner at one point. So in the course of the relationship, she was cleaning for him as well. How convenient. She denied being at Travis's on the 4th, explaining she'd been on this big road trip to Utah via the wrong way and that she'd not seen him since April when she admitted that they did have sex. Now, the camera in the washing machine either had an SD card in it or under it. There are conflicting reports. Uh-huh. But either way, the police recovered photographs of Jody and Travis in Fulgurante, time date stamped the 4th of June, around 1.40 p.m. Yeah, right. So these are sexy time photos between the two of them <laughs> from about 1.40. And so she was driving yeah. from the 3rd to the 5th. And That's her initial story. And photos of them together yeah. on the 4th. So she's definitely been there. Yeah. Maybe. So oh. at around 5.20 p.m., according to the time date stamp on the photos, Travis is in the shower. There's a series of photos of him in the shower. The final one is a close-up of him looking directly at the camera at 5.29 p.m. 
the next photograph, which had to be massively digitally enhanced because it was just a big of a blur when it was first looked at, taken at 5.31pm, shows a socked foot and a pants leg in the foreground of the image and in the background appears to be a body bleeding on the floor. And you can only see a bit of the body. I don't know whether it's a shoulder or something, but there's a flesh-coloured, you know, it looks like a person in the background with blood on them. When confronted with the photos of Travis in the shower, Jodie changed her version of events. She admitted that she had been at his house, arriving at around 4am, and, you know, they go to bed. They woke up about 1pm, had sex, took the photos with his new camera. She thought it'd be a good idea to take some pics of him in the shower. She was a, 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 I'm going to say, she was a photographer. I don't know how professional a photographer she was, but she certainly had been dabbling in photography. She'd done some weddings. She was trying to make her way, probably, you know, playing into that needing more cash to pay for stuff. She was having a go at that. So she thought it'd be a nice idea for him to basically, for her to take some tasteful pics of him in the shower. (laughs) Now, while she's doing this, so tasteful. Two masked intruders, a male and a female, burst in and attacked them. She alleges that they indicated that they were to, there to kill Travis. They found her register. They got her, according to her, they get her license or a registration card out of her handbag, and they know where she. You know, they work out where she lives and whatever. And they tell her if she tells anyone that any of thing that's happened, they will kill her and her family. She said the aggressor threatening her sliced her hand with a knife in the initial fight, but they let her go and she jumps in her car and she drives off to Salt Lake City. To see Ryan. Mm. Well, strangely, That's Detective Flores. because she's chomping at the bit after all of that blood and violence. Strangely, Detective Flores didn't go for this version of events. Wow. And he charged her with murder. Oh, straight up. Notably, notably, yeah, there were no other lines of investigation. <gasps> Well, that was it, was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is screaming something else. Well, it is a mystery, though, and it, this is why I spent so long on it because it's so frustrating. You don't, we don't find out really what happened, but there, lots of people have theories. The police didn't entertain the idea that there were others there, even though to this day I don't think there's any explanation for that shoe print, which is a larger size than what Jodie wore. So it, so it indicates that there was someone else there either at the time of the murder or while the blood was still wet. Was it the same size as Travis? No, and he was naked. And it's not one of the flatmates who were just happened to be watching movies. And I don't know who it is. Mm. But isn't it weird that the housemates are in and out, they don't smell anything? Yeah. Five days and no. So one of the things before we started, I said I was doing a late, bit of late research. He yeah. also had, his body also had some bruising on it and it was around on his shins and calves and stuff on his lower legs and they do appear to be anti-mortem I think it's a pre-mortem like before he's died he's got a bruise on his neck also which indicates some kind of pressure uh, pressure bruise which is I think a day or two old it's not actually fresh he's got a couple of slices to his head because because it looks like a fairly frenzied attack there's no explanation for any of that bruising either and I'll get on to the gunshot wound in a second Anyway, the point is that they just they just they just go slam dunk. It's her. But sorry, with the, with the bruising, you say there's no explanation for it other than the fact that he was murdered. There's no explanation as to how he he got that bruising in whatever is said to have happened between him and Jody. So her version of events maybe does account for it. Which which version? The first one or the second one? 
We'll get to the third one in a minute. Right, okay. She, she changed her story again. Yeah, right. That's not working Which in doesn't favor. help her. Yeah, correct. No, no, it doesn't. In September 2008, though, Jodie appears on TV where she states, no jury is going to convict me because I'm innocent. You can't. You, you can mark my words on that. She's very confident at this point in time. So for two years, she's in jail pending trial, maintaining her innocence the whole time. Then in 2010, she's allocated a public defender and his name's Kirk Nurmi and Maria Schaefer. I mean, that's not going to get her off, is it? Kirk Nurmi. Kirk Nurmi. I mean, what? It's not a nice name, is it? Maria Schaefer, who then was replaced by Victoria Washington, who was replaced by Jeff- Jennifer Wilmot. And then Whoa. Nurmi tried to resign, but he wasn't allowed. Why? So Hang on. So what? it's a, off to a great start, isn't it, with a oh, defence team. Yeah. You don't want to defend the, her. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that indicate? Mm. Mm. They're not very committed to finding the truth, all of them. It frustrates me because so much of this case, like a lot of the uh, interviews with the police are available online. You can you can see her interviews with police. The court case is pretty much entirely available online. What we don't know is what type conversations truly took place between her and her defence team because she goes from two years of saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, these two people broke in and attacked us, not that I'm saying it's true, but there's that footprint to account for. Mm-hmm. And then we go to her next story, which is apparently when she gets chatting to Kirk Nurmi, she says, oh, well, actually, no, that's not what happened. What really happened was Travis was abusive and I was taking the photos of him and I dropped his new camera and he turned in a rage and lunged at me and body slammed me to the floor and I got away. She says she ran through the wardrobe and he was following her. And she grabbed his gun and he says, I'm going to kill you, bitch. And she shot him in the head. And uh, then stabbed with... him 27 times. But she does. She says she can't remember anything that happened after that. Oh, and Oh, sorry, also importantly, in May 2008, back in Wairika, there was a burglary at her grandparents' house and a few things were stolen, DVD player, some other bits and pieces, and a .25 caliber gun. Now, that burglary was investigated. They never found, obviously, the perpetrator or any of the items, but there was physical evidence of the break-in and it was like a big shoe print and whatever. But, you know, like, we're just going to assume it's the same gun. The gun's never found, so we have no idea... There are no ballistics. There's just this one case. So, sorry, what you're saying is that there was a gun stolen and they're assuming that she used that gun to kill him. That's right. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The gunshot doesn't kill him, though. When she says she took his gun, I don't understand, sorry. Well, apparently he never had a gun. Although when you look at the forensic photos, there's ammunition on the shelf that she said she took the gun from. So if you don't have a gun, what have you got bullets up there for? That just so happens to fit that that gun. There's a lot that doesn't tie in with the forensics. It's not her story. She's unreliable, right? She's changing her tune three times. Mm. Yeah. Could that ammunition be hers? No, it's unlikely. She would. So the, there's a theory that with the gunshot, she shoots him. The bullet glances off the forehead because it's a .25 caliber. It's a very small gun, unless she's like point blank. Yeah. This gunshot was not at point-blank range. It was several feet away. So it's glanced off the forehead, which is one of the hardest part of your head. It's passed, sorry, Carla, through the sinus passage. So it passes through the sinus passages. Not the sinus passages. And it gets, so it shoots down that way and it gets, sorry, it could well have deflected off the the forehead and it ends up in his cheek. It doesn't exit and there was no evidence of it actually entering his frontal lobe, back to your thing about Mm. frontal lobe 
earlier. Couldn't be two shots? No, it was just the one shot. It's no exit wound. There's only one entry wound. That he was in the bath and shot in the bath because he's they're shooting down because you were saying Remember the photos. Remember the photos, though? This is why it's hard because you've got photos of him in the shower at 5.29 and then he's lying on the ground bleeding at 5.31, two minutes. So the question is, was he shot first or last? And that becomes important, right? She says she shot him first because he's chasing her and she shoots him and then she can't remember what happened. Okay, that's allegedly what happens there. So where did I get to? So um, we move to the trial. She's pleading guilty and trying to get a plea deal, but the prosecution, who's Mr. Juan Martinez, who was not very impressed by her TV interview saying that no one will ever convict her, basically sees it as a gauntlet thrown down, wants Mm -hmm. her to have the maximum penalty in Arizona for murder in the first degree, which is the death penalty. Right. So... In order to get the death penalty, though, he needs to prove not only that this was murder in the first, but also it was premeditated. So the cu- trial is not questioning whether she's guilty. This is because she's pled guilty. This trial is about did she go there to kill him? And how much did do she we plan need to punish this? her? Oh, we're going to kill her. We have got to kill her. I'll get on to that. So whilst the trial is finally getting underway, and this, uh, the trial was actually five years, I think, after oh. she was fi- arrested, the media have whipped up to such a frenzy around the case, releasing images of Jodie in police custody, commenting on her bizarre behaviour. And her bizarre behaviour was when she was first arrested, She see her, her mugshot is like, she's like, hey, like she doesn't look remotely guilty, stressed out or anything in the mugshot. You might in, you might indicate that she's like, this is all a fuck up, you know, I haven't done anything. Any, or she's a psychopath, you know, one or the other. She's talking to the police. They leave the room. She does a yoga handstand against the wall at one point. And to what she end? Sings, probably stress relief. She's been in there for hours. So, you know, she just does a bit of a handstand. She sings to herself a few times. She talks to herself what a few song? times. Oh, Holy Night, I think. Oh, Holy Night, the stars are bright and shining, I think. Bad choice. She's just, yeah, but I could see myself it Chris, talking It's to not myself. even Christmas, it's June or... It doesn't matter. No, I mean, I talk to myself all the time. No, I sing all the anyone time. Anyone singing stress, Christmas carols outside of Christmas is making a bad song choice. Point is, I don't think it was that, but like, it wasn't normal but it wasn't like no, no. But the point that is, crazy behaviour. But they made are for out. Christmas, Easter. Um, what are they called? Hot cross buns are for Easter. You can't well, tell that to Safeway who starts selling. I know, in right? January, you can't right? just go making these seasonal things throughout the year. Well, I think you're wrong. I mean, I, I just proved that every major retailer has turned Christmas into. And, a I, and I'm not okay with any of that. I'm just saying the rules. If people choose to break them, <laughs> they are then punishable. You know, We're on their right. head. Correct. All right. She's in custody, right? Just just think of it this way. She's in custody. Her lover has been brutally murdered. This is only about three or four weeks after that's happened. I'm pretty by sure her, it's a stressful Brutally situation. murdered by her, she said. She only said that two and a half years later. You know, I was saying earlier about my frustration that you can see all this stuff on TV. You, you, oh, sorry, online. Or What you can't see is what conversation she had with her defence team, right? Because that's all lawyer-client privilege. My frustration is... What did they tell her? Did they say, look, plead guilty, we'll come up with a reason why you did it because you can get a plea deal and, you know, you'll you'll face manslaughter or whatever. Yeah, we'll take- you'll do a few years, take the hit, right? We don't know 
what she was advised to do. Why did she change? After two years, why did she change? Anyway, I'll get on to that in a minute, but these are the things that are the questions in my head, okay? So the public is so excited by this case that some people were actually taking time off work so that yeah, they could attend the trial. this is the problem. It's Hang around outside the, the courthouse. Yeah. Yeah. They're literally baying for blood. Yeah, yeah. The image of this sweet young woman and the idea she could have so brutally murdered her lover was so titillating that people just couldn't get enough of it. And then the trial goes on, yeah. right, and it's explosive. Yeah. So it runs for 42 days, of which Jody was on the stand for 18 days. Serious? Mm-hmm. Now, if I went and did a blow-by-blow. Is blow she slow by to blow, respond? No. Jody, no, can you tell us where you were at this point? And then three days uh, later, I was uh, at Ryan's house. I'll tell you what, not her slow to respond. The arsehole prosecutor, sorry, and the dickhead defence are just spending the whole time objection. Like it's so slow because of the process. of Yeah. And the, and the judge appears to have absolutely no control over the trial whatsoever. You know, they're all... It's hard to do your nails and conduct a criminal trial at the same I time. I just think, I think it was a bit, might not have been her, she might not have had the level of experience required to manage such Sorry, a Sorry, when I said case. do your nails, I actually didn't realise that the judge was a female. I was just saying, you know, she I'm, was, I'm so doing you something. Super sexy. I'm, no, no. Yeah. I, well, no, what I'm actually saying is that it was completely non-gender related. But just you know, I've got just got something better to do than than do this stupid case. So I won't have any control. Was the trial in Mesa, Schmidt? Maripoca, I think. I just wanted. To, I just wondered if it was where she was, where, where he was from, where she was. You know, not where she was from. It was the was. local. I think it was, it was pretty local. much local okay. county, uh, local right. court. Yeah. Okay. Look, I do have some details around it, but. If I went through a blow-by-blow, obviously 42 days and 18 days of her on the stand, we'd be here (laughs) for a long time. So Juan Martinez repeatedly committed prosecutorial misconduct, yelling at, belittling and badgering expert witnesses as as well as Jodie. The medical examiner's report very clearly stated the bullet to the forehead had glanced off the bone. And by the way, I have read the autopsy report, so I can say this categorically. He says that the bullet to the forehead, glanced off the bone, travelled through the sinus to lodge in the left cheek. There was no indication that the bullet had entered the brain and therefore his in, was in his opinion that this shot was delivered first and was not the cause of death and would not have incapacitated the victim initially. Of the 27 knife wounds, only one pierced the breastbone and the heart, which could have been the fatal wound. The throat was cut, sorry Carla, the throat was cut mm. through the carotid and jugular and trachea. The spine and neck was not broken. This is what with? Do we know what with, for instance? Like where knife. were the knives from? We, we never kitchen? found it. We don't know, but it, but it, it, it's it's consistent with a sort of six inch steak knife, not steak knife, kitchen knife. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Detective Flores testified that the gunshot was inflicted first. The prosecution postulated that Jody and Travis had struggled, no accounting for the blood blood spatter on the sink, by the way, and she had got him down on the floor of the hallway, stabbing him repeatedly and cutting his throat, which they kept talking about as the death strike, right? Mm -hmm. This is what they're saying happens, Carla. Mm -hmm. Then she allegedly dragged his lifeless body back into the bathroom and put him in the shower, cleaned up a bit, bagged the gun, knife, socks she'd been wearing, thrown the towel and the camera in the wash after deleting the pictures on the camera and left. Okay, so she pled guilty, so why are we even trying to work out what happened? Because it's the duty. No, we have to prove that she planned it to get the death penalty. 
Yeah. So the defence leans hard that she was the victim of abuse who had had to kill to survive his rage, though there's no evidence that he was ever physically abusive. There's no mention in texts, emails, recorded phone calls or a journal of him being abusive. She reckons that she took them out or, no, what is the law of, the law of, attraction she says she never wrote anything negative down because it'll attract negative into her life so you're not supposed to do that she was living by the law of attraction there's plenty of evidence though of emotional abuse i've got to say so what did they find to prove premeditation several days before she left utah via arizona and nevada jody got on to her ex-boyfriend daryl Asking to borrow two five-gallon gas cans for a trip. She rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California, which is quite a long way from Wairika, and told the rental company she was just going to be driving locally. On the 3rd of June, receipts presented at trial showed that Jody had purchased a third five-gallon gas can, sunblock and facial cleanser from Walmart in Salinas, California. So we know she was in California on the 3rd of June. That evening at an Arcos gas station in Pasadena, California, she purchased 8.301 gallons of gasoline with her debit MasterCard and four minutes later purchased another 9.59 gallons of gas with cash. The MasterCard was used again on the 6th of June, 2008, so so the day after she arrived back in At Ryan's house? Yep, three times at a Tesoro gas station in Salt Lake City at a Pilot Flying J Travel Centre in Winnemucca, Winnemucca, Nevada, and a 7-Eleven in Sparks, Nevada. Jodie left voicemails on Travis's phone on the 4th of June after she'd left the property, which this is what the prosecution alleges. What property? Travis's. Travis's. Which the prosecution alleged was her pretending to not know he was dead and trying to get an alibi for herself. Um, They also suggested she'd accessed his voicemail, but I don't know that there was any proof of that. Uh, When the rental car was returned on the 7th of June, five days after it was rented, it had been driven 2,800 miles. To your question earlier, Paul, about how that short drive from California down to Arizona and up to Utah. That's many. The floor mats were missing and the front and rear seats had stains on them. The rental guy said looked a bit like Kool-Aid, which he had cleaned. As it had been cleaned, the police did not examine the vehicle. Oh. Now, if we're supposed to be led to believe that the front and rear seats were covered in blood. Hang on, is that what we're saying? Well, it's implied that the rental car was covered in blood because she had driven blood-soaked out of it. Because she would have, right? If she'd stabbed this guy repeatedly, cut his throat, dragged him around all the rest, and if she hadn't cleaned herself off in the house, there was a good chance that there'd be blood in the car. But why would it be in both front seats and the back seats and all over the, the, the mats? You know, the mats were missing from the car. They'd been removed. And there was what looked like Kool-Aid stains on the front and rear seats of this car. What was she doing? Have a little roll Both around? Front seats? Both Is front Kool-Aid seats? Both front seats are I reckon yeah. what she's yeah. done, she's put the, she slept in the passenger seat because the steering wheel's in the way. Not in covered in seat. blood, though. Who knows? If, no. Yeah. No, no, no. But also, they didn't examine the vehicle, right? So Luminol, yeah, you would yeah. be able to find traces of blood sure. in that car. Of course. No matter how well you bloody cleaned it. You yeah. can't – any good defence lawyer should have said, where's the evidence of that? Correct. Mm. And if they haven't Otherwise, tested it, a, take it's it It's just out. a testimony from someone. It's says, hearsay. It's oh, rubbish. With a Kool-Aid. I cleaned it. Mm. There was cordial stains in the seat, therefore it's blood. Yes. 
Ryan Burns and others who met Arias in Utah after the killing indicated she had, I think they said bandages, but I'm going to go with Band-Aids because she had a very small cut on her hand, on her hands and she wore long sleeve on, on the day when it was very hot. She's told different stories about how she received the cuts on her hands. Now, remember, this is in 2015 that this court case is happening. So Burns is recalling a conversation from five years earlier. Burns was told they were from an injury while working at Margaritaville Restaurant. At the trial, it was revealed by Siskiyou County, California authorities that no such restaurant exists, nor ever existed in the area. At the time of the killing, she worked at Casa Romanas in Wairaka. Now, I'm sorry, Casa Romanas, Margaritaville. A restaurant. A Mexican restaurant, you know, or whatever. Like, did he write that down to remember that five years later or did he get the impression of her working at some (laughs) margarita? She said she had to make a lot of margaritas that night. So Mm. it's it's feasible that the witness's memory of what she's specific, but that, oh, because it doesn't exist, that is evidence that she's a bullshit artist, yeah. Yeah, no, so for me, like there's a, there used to be a, a bar in Ivanhoe called Margaritaville and yeah. you could go there and drink the whole bar full of, you know, every different margarita they had. So if someone told me about making a whole lot of margaritas you at a restaurant. think of Margaritaville. And I couldn't remember the name of the restaurant because it was five years ago. I might think it was that, 100%, but that doesn't mean it's a lie. Correct. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree with you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So on June the fifth, two thousand eight, West Jordan, Utah, police officer Michael Galetti pulled Arias over while she was in the rented vehicle, which apparently was, you know, he pulls her over. Didn't seem to notice that the car's full of blood, by the way. Um, driving to meet up with Burns. Right. So the front license plate of the car was missing, and the rear plate bit was upside down. And she said, oh, what? I don't know, some kids at Starbucks probably did it. They fixed it up and the policeman didn't cite her for an infraction. He also didn't notice or make any mention of all this blood staining that would have been in the car because, it was remember, it was returned to the rental place with the Kool-Aid stains. So yep. at this point, that car would have been covered in blood if we are to believe that the car was covered in blood. I'd, I'd, I'm okay with him not noticing that. I don't think I know it was that, dark. I really wouldn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know I if it was dark. A whole lot of reasons, but but, but he might not, even I, pay. We look at it. Who would be looking at? Surely the it would have smelled. Seats. <clears throat> yeah. oh. No, I don't know. Swanee, think yeah. about it. It is. Stop it. <laughs> so, based on the fact that she had petrol cans and put petrol in them, the prosecution alleged that she'd planned to drive to Arizona, but the whole idea was that she wouldn't have to pay for any fuel. Or have any receipts or evidence Please, of her yeah, in yeah. Arizona. Yeah. So she could prove that she wasn't there by using her receipts. And I think she even said, I've got receipts to prove I wasn't there. And still having enough fuel to make the trip. It's a theory. There's no evidence of it, but it's a theory. No, the there, evidence, is, there's there is evidence. evidence. There's evidence, evidence that she yeah, had yeah. some cans. Yeah, yeah. So she refilled. But, she had the f- but here. No, she already had the fuel in them, didn't she? Yeah, but then she refills them in Utah. Yeah, so, yeah. But all, all but that, that. not in Arizona. Yeah. yeah, but she's done the deed, right? She's killed him. She's gone to Utah where she could just easily just fill the car up and go back to California. But it's no one she does refil- that. What do you mean no one does that? No one no. does that. No, no one That's does what? No one goes and buys petrol cans, cans that they can then go up. and fill up so they don't have to buy petrol in the local area. That's not a thing. The whole prosecution's case is that's her, the proof of the premeditation is that is what she did. So I'm 100% supportive of the fact that she did that stuff so that she didn't want to be found to be in that area. 
And I think she knew she was going to that area. Again, that doesn't make her guilty. doesn't mean she murdered him. That's right. Or premeditated it, it could mean murder. that she didn't want anyone to find out that she went there to have sex with Travis. But, but, but it's, it's very suspicious is what I'm th- saying. That's fine. But explain <laughs> to me if your whole reason for getting the gas cans and avoiding being seen there is that when you have left and done the job and you've left and you're now in Utah, why would you refill the gas cans again? Which she did. Why not? What does it matter? But why would you? You're in a rental. Mm. Yeah, you're going from Utah to California. You can fill up ever many. Maybe because, according to her, she was doing it because of petrol prices. I don't know what it was. Anyway, weird. Or it's just a really long journey and I don't want to run out of petrol in the middle of nowhere. So I've got some gas cans to make sure I don't run out of petrol. Maybe she had things to hide on the way from Utah to California and if she had that petrol she could go off. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. So going back to the crime scene, there was, and I'm going to put it in inverted commas, a bloody handprint on the wall that is constantly reported to belong to Jodie or it's constantly reported to have blended DNA of Jodie's and Travis's. For clarity, the forensics found a latent print on the wall that belonged to Jodie. It's a palm print and, as I said, she was there plenty of times. The forensic pathologist did not state categorically that the print was fresh. Also reported all the time is that the print in question shared the DNA. If she'd left her handprint on the wall just at any time and he then smears his blood on it, then you would have a mix of DNA. It doesn't mean because the, what they're implying is that it was her her hand was covered in blood and that's how that's happened. But it's actually a latent print. So you know what a latent print is, yeah? No. It can be from any period of time. If I dusted the walls right now, yeah. I will find latent prints fingerprints, you know. You sure as shit would in my house. Exactly. (laughs) It it doesn't mean that that print was from exactly that period of time. There were blood smears on the walls, right? So it's it's feasible to say she could have touched the walls at any time and he has subsequently smeared his blood on whatever pre-existing print was there. The forensic pathologist asked several times about this, kept saying her print was latent. She kept making the point that, it wasn't necessarily Jody's yeah. handprint, yeah, as in the blood bit of it. But but being a latent print, does that mean it isn't current, or does it just mean they can't determine? They can't determine how the old age it of it. Yeah, so it could have been. So it could be. It could be. The yeah. thing that frustrates me is it's reported all the time. It's it's they use this stock image of a literally a bloody handprint. So yeah. in the media and in the mind of everyone. And don't you yep. worry, if you try, if anyone tries to suggest that this jury was not influenced by media and other things, you're having a laugh, right? But every time they talk about this thing, they show this picture of this bloody handprint. It's not the bloody handprint. I've looked everywhere for the actual print. And when you see the, the forensic pathologist on the stand, they've cut a piece of the wall out. You can see this drywall. You can't, it's not a very clear, here's my handprint on the wall. It's a dusted print. So it could have been there for yeah. any period of time. Yeah. Okay. So, of course. Not bloodied. There's a blood smear, but there's blood oh, smear all gosh. up the wall. She's, she gets Also, she gets to his house and she spends 12 hours. So she, this is my point about, like, the premeditation. She spends 12 hours bonking him and taking photos and sleeping and all the rest. Well, she said that she slept, yeah. Well, the, and the photographic evidence says nothing happened. There's no evidence of yeah. anything happening before 140. Well, no, 140 when they start oh, taking photos of photos. themselves getting jiggy with it, right? And then after at 5, 
20 is when the sequence of shower photos are taken. This whole idea of I've premeditated it is all about the gas cans, all about that. So she takes a stand, unfortunately, in her own defence on the 4th of February 2013, testifying for 18 days. She says that she had abusive parents. They say bullshit. She explained <laughs> her renting the car in Reading was due to a bullshit. Well, the parents are like, yeah, whatever. But I tell you what, her parents said her that. Parents yeah, yeah, said but that. but also, oh, yeah, right. if you if you listen to my sister, she'll tell you that dad was you know abusive and violent when we were kids. By today's standards, yeah, you know he smacked mm. us. So I'm just pointing out there's that whole culture. She get the belt. Uh, not not often. I got threatened the belt though. Don't you worry. Yeah, me too. I used to get yeah. I used to get the belt. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're all abused children, you know. Yeah. And our parents say bullshit. So there you go. She explained why she rented the car in Reading, you know, which was quite away from Wairika, because yeah. when she looked on the budget website, as in trying to find a cheap rental, there were two that were recommended, and one was in Reading, and her brother lives there. So she went to there to get this cheaper rental and to stay with her brother. On the second day on the stand, she said their sex life included oral sex and anal sex. She said the anal sex was painful for her the first time they experienced it together, and that while she considered oral and anal sex to be real sex, Travis did not, and he believed these forms of sexual activity in contrast to uh, vaginal sex were technically not against the Mormon rules. And I've heard that before in other situations where people have taken chastity vows, as long as it's not vaginal, it's not real sex, so we can do it. Because you're not going to have a baby. She said eventually they did have vaginal sex, but it wasn't very often. A phone sex tape was played in which Travis said he wanted to zip tie her to a tree while she was dressed as Little Red Riding Hood and put it in her ass. She testified that Travis secretly found young boys and girls sexually attractive and she tried to help him with these urges. She said she'd walked in on him masturbating to the image of a young boy and I'm not saying that this is true but in the phone sex tape which gets played I mean there's no dignity in this case she after she orgasms he says it sounds like a 12 year old having her first orgasm it's gross uh, and she goes what and he goes it sounds like a 12 year old girl having her first orgasm he like he's enjoying that that idea. Oh. Jody testified that her relationship with Travis became increasingly physical and emotionally abusive, some of which caused Travis's sister to continuously roll her eyes and shake her head in disbelief. She's in the gallery in the court, which is also not allowed, by the way. Jody said that Travis shook her while saying, I'm fucking sick of you, then began screaming at me, after which he body slammed me to the floor at the foot of his bed, taunted her saying, don't act like that hurts, before he called her a bitch and kicked her in the ribs. Afterwards, she said, he went to kick me again I put my hand out and she indicated that her finger her ring finger was crooked because he'd broken it according to her the dysfunction of their relationship reached its climax when she killed him in self-defense after he became enraged following a day of sex and a gun accident forcing her to fight for her life so she she shoots him in the head and he comes for her accident I'm not sure I think she's Mm. I think it was one of those I reached for the gun it went off kind of things again it was a third different account of how his death had occurred that she'd offered up which both the prosecutors and observers felt severely damaged her credibility I agree as a witness a sentiment echoed by jurors upon the completion of the guilt phase various people agreed that being on the stand for 18 days hurt her course as well because she wasn't a good witness So there's a whole bunch of arguments between the defence and the prosecution's expert witnesses around whether or not she's got PTSD and that's why she can't remember what happened after the gunshot incident or whether or not she's just a psycho. And they basically just argue 
that neither are right. Like, you know, no, she's not a psycho. Your test is rubbish. My test is fine. She's She's got PTSD. Like, it's just total nonsense. You're a psycho. Yeah. Your mum is. There's no clear diagnosis as to whether or not she's – someone says she's got borderline personality. Again, it's just all it's just all fodder for the prosecution or, or the defence. None of this is about whether or not she truly has psych, psychological issues. Going back to, you know, I was talking before about our mate Martinez, Juan Martinez, the prosecutor. He was so aggressive – they had a domestic violence expert witness, uh, and Alice LaViolette. La Violette. She's a psycho. What? Her name is Alice LaViolette, and she's a psychotherapist. I mean, there's a problem. No, don't pick on her. Don't start. She's she specialises in domestic violence. She says that yeah, look, she really was a victim of domestic violence. Most victims don't tell anyone about it because they're humiliated and whatever. Looking at emails and things and, and from close friends, they've basically said move on from the relationship. You know, he's been abusive to other women. He's not a nice guy. And the jury, so in Arizona, the jury are allowed to pose questions to any of the witnesses. Yep. So they, they don't do it directly, but they'll they submit their questions. There were over 160 right. questions posed to La Violet, many of them focusing on Jody's credibility. And yep. Martinez was so aggressive to this woman while he was cross-examining her that she actually asked him if he was angry with her for some reason because he was so he was yelling at her and defense actually were like, talk about badgering the witness. You know, this is really inappropriate. You know, I said earlier about the judge not really seeming to have a handle on it. She was like, oh yeah, you know, you're a bit over the top. Just settle down a bit. When you watch this trial time and time and time again, the judge sides with the prosecution. You can see it. Like it's so evident. So then as I said, there's another guy who comes in and says, no, she doesn't have PTSD or amnesia. There's no evidence that she's been abused. Can I ask a question with relation to domestic violence? Mm. This is 2013 too, remember? There is no doubt that they had a very dysfunctional relationship. But when she moved away and then she chooses to come back great distances, do you still err on the side of saying that's domestic violence or is that her then willingly taking herself back into a toxic relationship? I think it's really dangerous territory because... It's like saying, why don't you leave him? Why don't you leave him? There are a plethora of cases of women who don't leave their partners yes. either because of financial control, emotional Correct. abuse, you know, physical abuse, they're too frightened, all those sorts of things. I'm not saying yeah. that she was or wasn't a victim. The expert witness who specialises in domestic violence said, yes, she was a victim. Okay. I'm not one. But I think it's a tricky thing when mm. when we assume that everyone can just walk away from something. For whatever reason, I do believe that Jody was extremely compelled by him. So yeah. however that played out. I'm not and look, I don't believe he was physically violent, but how would I know? I wasn't there. He might have been. On the on the other side of that, at what point does an SM S and M relationship become but, domestic violence? Yeah. It's a very good question. I don't think they had an S&M relationship. Well, you, I think you said that earlier, though. He's, that there was... She's submissive to him and he is dominant to her. No, but there was there was the conversation that was very much He said, you want, I want you to be my whore. And... I think you said, yeah, yeah. yeah I think, so I think you, you introduced the S&M piece then, and that's what I'm saying, if... If they're consensually going through this S&M process, and I'm not saying they were, I'm just saying if they were, if she decides at some point she doesn't want to be a part of that anymore, and I'm not saying she did, 
at what point does it become domestic violence? And and if potentially it's S and M and it's consensual, and then after the fact she goes, actually, you know, he did all of these horrible things to me. At the time, I loved it; it was fantastic. But but now that he's dead and I've, I need a, an out, yeah, maybe it's domestic violence. And of course, it's domestic violence. Then if she didn't consent to it, and, and I'm not saying any of that happened right, but I think it's incredibly complex when you've got that kind of a relationship that ends badly. I think that's exactly my problem with this defence and I think she's been told to take this defence and it and mm. it plays out in her testimony when she's talking, when she's talking, they, they're playing the, oh, it's so debasing, but they're playing recordings of their phone sex and they're, they're, they're reading out their text messages and, you know, stuff that no one else should know. But it is about the prosecution is trying to prove that she was loving every minute of it and and you know there's no abuse here you were you were an active participant to your point there Clarkie. and so it does start to look like exactly as you described now that he's dead i'll use that as evidence of abuse right absolutely also, why it looks go like that. back why go back if if she's made that break but that's why go she, back? i don't think she ever emotionally made a break i don't i just don't i mean what what even on that day i don't think she ever gave up fully on the idea of travis and i remember when i broke up with someone many years ago swanee saying to me and now the game starts and it was about, <laughs> and it was all about the fact that that individual whilst we were broken up still came around to mine we had sexy time, although we were broken up. And I was in that same situation of hoping that we'd get back together. He was using me. That's very different. If she's claiming it she was, was a in game. a domestic violence relationship and she's made a break and then she's secretly driven, you know, either 16 or six hours to go and have sex with him. She never at the time, at the time she was in that relationship with him, I don't think she ever said that she was a victim of abuse to anyone. No, no, Where but the- she did afterwards. Her defence. Yes, but I'm not even sure at the time that she would have thought of herself as a victim of abuse. I think that the important thing is if you're consenting to it and then, so so there's there's people who are in relationships and they you know they're married and they get raped by their husband effectively right it's not consensual nothing's cool about it but that's what happens an S&M relationship I would imagine is very different in that you are doing things that aren't normal wouldn't be perceived as loving and it's consensual and then after the fact if you go hang on that's domestic violence at what point did she realize it was domestic violence and did she drive all that distance to go back to someone who she knew was being violent towards her in an unconsensual context? Or is it now that she's being charged with something that she's saying that this is domestic violence? And I think it's important. I don't think you can, I don't think you can be clear, but what I I'm saying is one, I think it's important. I can on one can, yeah. element. She has categorically stated that he never raped her. She does not see their sexual activity as anything other than consensual. The violence she's talking about is how he speaks to her, how he abuses her in that respect, and how he has allegedly thrown her to the ground and kicked her. And on one, she cites one occasion. Which is violent. Yeah, she cites one occasion. So do you think she's a victim of domestic violence or do you think she's someone who's into S&M who's changed her mind after the fact? 
Well, again, I'm not an expert in domestic violence, but I do believe that if someone is repeatedly saying shitty things and belittling you and manipulating you so that you spend your whole time doing everything to please them, then you are not, at the outset, uh, I talked about how the power was with him. You are you are a victim in that situation, whether or not you're going along with it consentingly and whether or not you're even that conscious of the fact that that's how they're treating you. So, and, and now in 2022, we are much better at understanding that abuse isn't just physical and it's not just sexual. How long were they together? Three months, did we? This has gone over for about 18 months now. But, but they, 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 them as an item was three months. Five. Five months. Yeah. And then he's been murdered 13 months later. Yeah, something like that. Right, okay, yep. So the final defence witness was psychologist Dr Robert Geffner who said that DeMarte's borderline diagnosis, you know, I said they said she's borderline, was not appropriate, that all the tests taken by Jodie since her arrest pointed towards an anxiety disorder stemming from trauma. So basically all the experts disagree on these things. He also said the tests indicate that she answered questions honestly without lying. Now that's really significant because the prosecution have basically said she's a liar on all occasions. I can't believe a word that she says. Following his testimony... The state recalled another guy, Dr. Horn, who testified further on the gunshot wound and called Dr. Jill Hayes, a forensic neuropsychologist who disputed Geffner's testimony, testimony that the MP, MMPI test wasn't geared toward diagnosing borderline personality disorders. They are literally just back and forth tennising, you know, just playing a tennis game the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So who gives a shit what they say, right? Because at this point, it's just a farce. Yeah, yeah. She spends forever doing stuff. At the, like 18 days of this. Also, on the 3rd of April, a member of the jury was dismissed for misconduct. The defence team asked for a mistrial. The judge denied. On April 12th, another juror was excused for health reasons. A third juror was dismissed on April 25th after being arrested on a DUI offence. So they had a rolling change of things. Okay, so on the 8th of May 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation, Jodie was found guilty of first-degree murder. Out of 12 jurors, five jurors found her guilty of first-degree premeditated murder and seven jurors found her guilty of both first-degree premeditated murder and felony murder. As the guilty verdict was read, Jodie struggled to repress tears as Travis's family smiled and hugged each other. Several people who had gathered outside the courtroom began celebrating by cheering and chanting. So the jury found her guilty of first-degree murder, which, given the bias toward the prosecution, see was pretty much a foregone conclusion. You know, she's a monster. The The defence was really lacklustre. None of it's surprising. What did come as a surprise, though, to everyone was that they didn't agree on the death penalty. Eight voted for death and four voted for life. So, so allegedly what? one of the jurors at this point when it's read out that they haven't come to that conclusion, one of the jurors looked over at Travis's family and mouthed, I'm sorry, to the mm. family in the gallery. Outrageous. So in Arizona, failure to agree on the penalty, unanimously given its death, causes a mistrial. So, no. Yeah. So oh. it had to go to court again. Now this time around, though, same defence, same prosecution team, same judge, new jury. Martinez doesn't have to prove premeditation, though, because she's already been found guilty of right. first-degree murder, yeah. murder one. So now it's about proving that she tortured Travis so that we can prove that he suffered immeasurable cruelty, which should have the jury giving her a death penalty. So, sorry, just to be clear on that, do they need to find her guilty at all? Well, she pleads guilty. No, no, but so now that she's been found guilty as well of premeditated murder, 
is this next trial? So whilst it's a mistrial, it's not a mistrial to the point where you start again. It's a mistrial to the point where now the new trial is accepting everything that the mistrial found. Until we and get we're to just the trying point to work where out what the penalty is. Yeah, what the penalty is. Nonsense. Be. It's crazy. So long drawn out process. They only called one witness this time round, and it's my mate, the medical examiner. Now this is interesting. So ever since that first coroner's report, which I've read, and even in the first trial, remember he said that the gunshot wound didn't enter the frontal lobe, uh, and that um, the gunshot was probably first. Yeah. So now he says the gunshot wound was inflicted last and that it, oh, and that no. it did enter the brain. What? Detective, well, there's a reason for this. Detective Flores says he made a terrible mistake. So Detective Flores has also for the last four years been saying the gunshot was administered first. In some ways forensically it makes sense apart from the fact that the casing was on the blood because the casing would have been covered by blood if it was the first, like it would bang out, blood spurting should be on it, not the other way around. Yeah. So the I was sus on the, it doesn't make sense. the thing going from the forehead to the cheek. Well, cheek. it depends yeah. on the also, so, so, yeah. the so now yeah. the trajectory. So now they're basically saying she stabbed him, she cut his throat, she put him in the, um, in the thing Bath. and sh- in the shower and shot in him the there, recess, right? Yep. Because also the gun, the, uh, casing is found outside the shower. It's not in the hall. It's not somewhere else. It's there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so now, okay. So we've shot him last, and so that sort of makes sense about where the bullet would enter and it would end mm-hmm. up in. Which is Except weird because he's already dead because he's had his throat cut and he's been stabbed in the heart. Why would the trajectory be so he was, bad? Because she's standing high over him. Like at the, yeah, no, nah, nah. If you're going to kill someone, oh, sorry, if you're going to shoot someone who's practically dead anyway, oh, he's dead. You're not going to do it. On some weird angle, uh, you're going yeah, to get them square that, on. Yeah, yeah, none of that makes any sense to me anyway. So basically yeah, yeah. what they're trying to say is she didn't kill him in self-defense. She's been cruel to him. He's, she's made him suffer and she's yep, annihilating right. him, right? So she's gotcha. they're trying to show the brutality of the attack to be able to say, well, she definitely deserves the death penalty. So they've changed all of that way that he died with no new evidence Oh, I made a mistake. Based on the fact that the trial is that's now it. about proving his amount of suffering that's and not right. about his guilt. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah, right. Correct. So also even if she does shoot him last, there, so I could understand him sh- her shooting him first because it would incapacitate him. It would stun him at least, right? And it made sense to me. He gets shot in the face somewhere in the bathroom he goes over to, because he's not dead, right? It's gone through his sinuses. He's got a blood nose. Let's assume that. He goes to the vanity. That explains some of the blood spatter on the vanity. What it doesn't explain is why the casing is on top of a blood pool because Ooh. there shouldn't have been blood prior to this happening. Yeah, yeah. And then he, then we're meant to believe she runs downstairs, gets a knife, comes back, stabs him, cuts his throat, drags him, puts him back in the shower. None of that makes sense. Anyway. But now we're meant to believe that she's come up and she starts stabbing him in the shower. And this is a man who has martial arts experience. He's about four inches taller than her. He's much more physically, he's much bigger than her physically, you know, and stronger. So he turns around there at close contact. He did have defensive wounds on one hand, but not on his forearms. So, you know, normally if someone's stabbing at you, you would expect to have defensive wounds in your hands and your forearms. No, we haven't got that. And also, and so 
Maybe there's a grappling with the knife. Maybe he falls over. That's how he gets that, what you would call it. But then how does she actually flip him on his front, stab him in the heart? She's, there's all these stabs on the back as well. Like it just doesn't necessarily weigh up for me. And then the other thing that I still don't understand is she's there's in the hallway where there's all the blood, the blood's sort of on either side of the hall, there's a void of blood, so like a body's been there, right? So there's this kind of body-shaped yeah. no bloodness. What there isn't is any drag marks. Yeah. If to get from there to, to there. To pull him from that void where he's allegedly had his throat cut and been stabbed to death, to pull him from that back into the shower. Also, why would you? Anyway, um, the trial's quick. Again, she's found guilty, no surprise. But again, no death penalty, much to the disgust of Juan Martinez. What? Oh, wow. I reckon that's what they're thinking. Um, so 11 to 1 this time. So one juror's like, oh, I can't go there. No. Oh, one, wow. That's pretty 12 big, angry man. Though. Yep. No one really goes to town on the fact that the ME has perjured himself. <laughs> we'll just let that yeah. one slide. Or Detective Flores, but for that matter. So at this point, another mistrial's called. But that no. is that's okay. That's what? the limit in Arizona, and the judge then has to sentence the uh, Jody. Oh no! Here we go, Jesus. Judge Shelley something or other sentences Jody Arias to a natural life in prison with no option of parole. So not twenty five years minimum, nothing. Yeah, just yeah. till she's dead. Term me a natural life. Yeah. As I say, the reason it's a mystery is because just frankly, the science doesn't add up. The forensics don't add up. No. The photos they took are really poor quality. The autopsy's done several days after the body was found, like a week after. The progression of decomposition from the original crime scene to the autopsy is extremely noticeable. You know, I said the other day there are some things I can't unsee. The image, I've seen the photos of Travis in the shower. The image of his face on the autopsy table, he looks like a mummy. They've allowed it to go that far, right? Which also won't help determining because the the ME says he in this second trial that he can't say that the bullet didn't enter the brain because the brain was in such a state of decomposition. But also that's not what he said first time round and the bone doesn't show sign of it being entered. Okay, the car So there's no hole in the skull? No, because it, it deflects from the skull. It ends up down in the cheek. The car she rented wasn't investigated. There's no blood in the wardrobe. That's there's wrong. A, there's a carpet cleaner downstairs and no one ever questions what happened and why that's there and why the downstairs carpet's been cleaned and who cleaned it and why the furniture's all pushed back. Travis had a dog. He let the dog wander all over the house. Why was there a dog gate on the stairs that they had to open? You know, that doesn't make sense. Who fed the dog in the five days that, trials, that Travis is allegedly in the shower when the housemates are out at work or over at their girlfriends? So this dog's starving? Why was the body in the original photos in the house when it was the scene was first processed pink, indicating it was less than five days in the shower, which also explained the lack of decomposition smell and the house that, that the housemate said they didn't even notice it wasn't there, and the lack of bugs. So the thing I looked up before we started this was how long it takes before bugs actually start to interfere in the or get into the process of decomposition it's within hours and up to 24 hours if he sat there for five days there's a dog in the house there's plenty of ventilation you can't tell me that a single fly didn't come along and go delicious right why does his neck appear broken in the original photos but the me says it's not although it definitely appears broken who's the owner of that shoe print uh was the wardrobe carpet cleaned there's a 
there's a box of copy paper, you know, uh, printer paper copy. in there yeah. that has a reddish brown absorption stain in it. No, we don't even bother looking into that, do we? If you did clean the scene, why would you clean the wardrobe and not the hallway in the bathroom? And why put him back in the shower? Because at no point has anyone suggested he was killed in situ in the shower. And there's no smear marks. Also, she's a photographer. Why wouldn't you take the bloody SD card? Why would you just delete the stuff on the SD card? Why would you put it in the washing machine? You know that the yeah. camera itself doesn't hold any of the information. Honestly. why wouldn't? And also, why wouldn't you just take it with you? She's alleged to have taken the gun and the knife with her and her bloody socks and everything else in a bag. Why not just take the camera? If she's planned this so meticulously and it's all premeditated, explain the clearly stupid mistakes here when at the end of the day she's allegedly got a massively high IQ. So it seems the majority of people are comfortable that she done it, but there are a few out there who have asked the same questions that I'm asking and if so, how did it happen? And that's why it's a mystery because we don't, because even when she says, oh, I don't know, I can't remember anything, we just don't know the the, the logical. And then, Is there a next best guess at what happened or is it just I'm worried about the shoe there are questions as to whether or not she had an accomplice there are questions of whether or not there were two people who broke in yeah and for whatever reason she's either terrified or protecting them don't know but you know from what I've seen of the trial facts matter little and if anyone what does Sky Hughes reckon I reckon she'd have a pretty big opinion on it yeah Hughes well it's interesting that she said that a woman and a man broke in all right uh, um, but did, but then she said afterward that they didn't. So that was just her fate first thing. We don't know that they didn't. There's another. There's a shoe print. Remember Th- yeah. that could also very much support her or the trying to job had an in. accomplice. No, no, that she had an accomplice. Yeah. So if she had a male accomplice, and she says a woman and a man, well, that kind of helps explain the fact that there were two people. One was a woman being her. One was a man. So could you know, be. that. There's a bit of truth in the lie, I guess. Could be, could be. It, yep. It's it. I, I'm I'm struggling with the fact that there's no other credible thought as to what might have happened. Well, the problem is because she pled guilty, no one gave a shit what really happened. No, but, exactly. but, but, but so pleading guilty was a third story. Prior to that, was there anything other than the? man and the woman who broke into the house while she was there, which I find incredibly unlucky if it was that that happened. Well, the police are like, that's just bullshit and far-fetched, so we're not buying it, right? So so you you, you could be right. There's just not enough answers available to qu- to the questions that you'd think would be asked, not that they were, but, you know, it didn't matter because she said she was guilty. So I think, I think the tipping point for this was when, for whatever reason, she pled guilty. I think personally, that she pled guilty because she was told to by the defence team. They said, go for it, plead guilty, we'll get you a deal, you'll do yeah. some time but you'll be out and whatever. You won't go to death row or anything yeah. like that. How well did they question the housemates? I told you. Where were you? I was at my girlfriend's. Okay. Jesus Oh, Christ. sure they See? asked the girlfriend too. Yeah, yeah the, the housemates are dodgy. Mm. Well, they're not dodgy but there is a question mark there for me. I know. Yeah, It's just too to many gaps is. about that timeline. In terms of aftermath, she's appealed, moved for a mistrial based on the prosecutor's shenanigans. They've, of course, been denied. She's in jail, most likely for the rest of her life. Juan Martinez, not that this is related but it's interesting, has been disbarred. As turns out he's a nasty sex pest in the office and enough women came out to complain about him 
Uh, he's accepted his disbarment without admitting any guilt, of course. Kirk Nermy was also disbarred, although he Because says, of his name? No, because he mm. said he was going to leave the law anyway because it was too stressful. This was to do with the complaint Jody filed against him for breaking his client counsel privilege by writing a tell-all book where he basically says he thought she was guilty the whole time. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> The Alexander family also raised money, and I'm not sure what for, and have benefited out of his death. Chris and Sky Hughes are now divorced, which isn't very Mormon of them, and they've been in and out of the press, notably in, a, in reference to, to when they found out about Travis. They were either in Cancun or they were on their way to Cancun or they were at home packing for Cancun. That's right, their story has changed three times too as to where they were at the time. Of course, we'll never know where they were or what they were doing because no one bothered to find out or cared. And why should it matter? It matters because they were devout LDS people. They were reliant on Travis's work at prepaid legal to make money themselves, Chris in particular. He was a high flyer, but Travis was one of those who was you know, slightly lower down in the pyramid and his earnings were then coming up to Chris. And allegedly they felt that Travis's, and goes back to your original suspicions, Swanee, that Travis's distraction of Jody got in the way of his performance and that's why they wanted her gone. And the fact that they interfered in his relationship that much makes me a bit suspicious about things. Are you you saying that they potentially are the ones who knocked him off? I don't know because they were either in Cancun, on their way to Cancun, or packing for Cancun. Yeah, but that would be easy to find out, surely. If anyone bothered, yeah. Based on passport. If anybody cared. If anybody cared to check, yeah, that's right. The the reason I'm asking, so this is very much like the Scott and Lacey Scott Peterson, Peterson. I knew you'd say that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but you know, there was talk of the satanic rituals and other torsos being found within six months or whatever and a whole bunch of other female uh, pregnant ladies yeah 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 but but what i'm saying is that i'm I'm struggling to see the credible alternative with this story where's the credible alternative that would give you enough to go actually it could have been yeah with it with the petersons that could have been the people across the road who were yeah, um, yeah. robbing the house it could have been the satanic ritualists where's the credible alternative in this case at least or is in there the not scott one? and lacey peterson case someone bothered to try and look into other credible you know options only only years later but but what but what i'm saying is there isn't one at the moment is there no no. Yeah, right. Yeah. But also I have read, and again, I don't know if this is true, because no one bothered to look into it. Sure, yes. But Travis was allegedly having financial problems. Why did he have housemates? Because he had a big mortgage. He, he himself was being impacted by the financial crisis. His performance at prepaid legal had been affected. He wasn't doing so well. There are questions around other components of his life. There's this whole thing about the pedophilia which I don't really, I don't think holds much credibility. There's no evidence of it. Some emails surfaced which are allegedly fake where someone had told the Hughes who had children of an age that if something in the email says something along the lines of their kid, one of their kids is getting to an age where he might be interested. These are all just weird shit that's come out later and yeah, who knows, yeah. I don't think any of that's true. 
but it's sort of people latch on to that. It's in, in the same way as so many people have said she's guilty, she did it, there's no other way around it, there are also conspiracy theorists and other people saying, hang on a minute, there are other options. But to your point, there's no real credible counter offer yeah. as to what happened. But I also don't believe it's been investigated. No, no, and it sounds like that's correct. But also remember the Cecil Hotel where there were all of these people who got involved and all offering um, yes. alternatives yeah. Wasting with police no time. evidence mm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. So that is the case of Jodie Arias and Travis Alexander. And I reckon that's the, it's the defence's job to bring those sorts of things in yeah, But the defence weren't trying to prove that she wasn't correct. guilty. Correct. Again, because they were lazy. They're wrong, yeah, and they're terribly lazy. But it's their job to. Well, actually, no, it's not the burden of proof. The burden of proof is with the prosecution to prove guilt, right? No, but the defence would would introduce a credible alternative to create reasonable doubt. Correct. And, and the only thing no... they could go for was domestic abuse. And to your point, Correct. that that was a really weak bloody case. And, and that's the bit that I'm kind of saying. If there's no, if if they can't introduce a credible alternative to create reasonable doubt, not to say there wasn't one, but if they can't do that then that's going to make it even more likely that she'll be found guilty. Mm. Has she ever retracted her guilt? Not since not since she's been not well actually I'm not 100% sure about that she might have but I just don't think public opinion is so hard on her being guilty that I I don't even if she tried to I think any defense team would say just knock it off. But but it know? comes back to credibility, right? If if she was saying that that she was forced to plead guilty by her defence team and then she's going, actually, you know what, I didn't do it, that's what happened, I'd probably feel more comfortable with that than her not retracting it and using that as a defence. So she's, again, not doing herself any favours. No, I I can't speak to her mental state either. But, yeah, I think she hasn't done herself favours. Do you think she did it? I don't know. I think she could have done it. All along, I think she I think she could have. I just don't think that they've, no one's tried to prove it to, you know, like there's too many questions about, particularly with the forensics. To me, yeah. It's just too weird. And so she could have, and if she'd said, oh, yes, no, I stabbed him, firstly he was on his back and I, because most of the, the back wounds are all superficial. Most of the chest wounds are superficial. There's only one that actually pierced and got him in the heart, which probably killed him. The other thing, as I said earlier, there's not five litres of blood all over this scene. Because she said she shot him initially in the wardrobe. There would have been blood And then she remembers everywhere. nothing. Is that correct? After that, yeah, that's yeah. Her, her story. How does he end up in the bathroom hall then if she shoots him in the wardrobe? Why is there no blood in the wardrobe? Like there's just, it just, none of it makes sense. If, if she had, had an accomplice, does it make more sense? Even then it's weird because if she had an accomplice, she's in the house with him for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. But, but it happened, quick. right? It's been, it happened regardless it's, of. It's very quick, those photos. Look, I'll tell you my question mark about the photos, right? Okay. Tell me your question mark about the photos. In one of the photos of the scene of this camera, it's a Sony Cybershot and I've got a later model of it, not a Cybershot. I've got a DSLR, but I bought it about a year or two after Travis has bought his. His is a smaller model. Sony had a their own SD card. Yeah. You know, like their own, to their own system. And it's smaller than a standard SD card. When you look at the photo of this SD card, of, of this camera in the washing machine, it's clearly the SD card in it 
is in the in the only slot that exists in them is this own brand Sony SD card. The SD card that these photos were on is a standard blue SD card. It's not the same one that's in the camera. And what do you read into that? A whole series of photographs could have been taken at another time. I, I guess. I guess what I'm what I'm confused by is the time date stamp. The camera has to be set. The camera doesn't do that automatically. It has to be set up to do that. I've got a, I've got this same camera, right? It doesn't just automatically happen. Now he may have no, set but it if up. You, but you could, but in you some could. of the photos, when you first see that, in some instances of those photos, that when they're released, there's no time date stamp on them. Right. Okay. There so is that's on a, others. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 If you look at everything that's happened, he, he's found where he is. The the evidence is what it is. Um, if her and an accomplice doesn't explain it, what does explain it? What I think because there's someone no... attacked him for sure. Yeah, I don't believe that the whole thing happened in a matter of minutes. Right. I don't believe that he was necessarily killed on the fourth. Right. I think he was tortured over a series of time. Why do you wow. think that? The forensics. That... What's so? Then he's found five days later and he is not in a state of decomposition five days later than he would have been had he died on the 4th, mainly. The fact there's no flies, there's no smell, all that sort of stuff suggests to me he might not have even been killed at that scene. That could have been staged. I don't know why. But now that doesn't mean that Jodie didn't have an accomplice who tied him up, who tortured him, who killed him eventually. Could she have gone from California to Arizona, to Utah, to Arizona, to California. Not according to the testimony of who saw her when so and also the receipts. So she's definitely Arizona, Utah, Utah, California. So she doesn't... Hang on, she Arizona, doesn't... Utah, Utah. Arizona. Because <clears throat> she was filling up her gas cans in Utah, which could explain why she did that so she could go back via Arizona... She does. She fills them up on the sixth, and she's seen and working and everything back in California. So no. On what day? Following that. So, so there's not enough time for her to return. It's just not. There's not enough time to for her to have gone back down. The argument about whether or not she had an accomplice, though, or someone else who's with her, they may. They, she may have. They may have incapacitated Travis initially. Shot him in the face. Incapacitated him. He bleeds around. I just they, can't understand who else did it. Not and I can't. Neither can I. I think it's a mystery. I don't have an answer. Well, well, is it though? If she's if she's confessed to it and she's not changed her story, what's the mystery bit? I don't believe her story either. That's the problem. No, but but so I don't let's say believe she's, what the prosecution let's say she's put protecting forward. an accomplice, or she's protecting her family because she's shit scared because someone really is threatening them. No, uh, it's very very hard to see. So for me, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm going to park whether or not I think she did it because it's immaterial, really. She pled guilty. For me, though, the lacklustre defence, Judge Sherry What's-Her-Face and Juan Martinez are just, it's just like it's awful to watch this trial. And, yeah. you know, if any one of us were in a situation where we were faced with a trial, being defended by Kirk, being prosecuted by Juan and the trial judge being Sherry, forget it, we're done. I'd like to see them go through the same process. I'd like to put them in Jodie's shoes, guilty or not. I'd like them to have to go through the shit that she went through. Whether or not she killed her boyfriend in a fit of rage or premeditated or whatever, uh, you know, just it was just poor, bad work. And, you know, I'd just like to see them suffer some of that shit too. That's it. Yep, fair. Thoughts? I, I'm, I'm confused by mistrials that actually still 
have some level of outcome from them that then get carried over to the next trial. I don't understand that. I don't understand the law enough. I don't understand the American ouch in the Arizona system enough. I can't help you. <laughs> I was no, confused just, too. I don't think there's ever a case that comes out of the US when we get to this point where I don't, don't <laughs> oh, hear something. Oh, it's so obvious. Don't hear something. <laughs> you and I go, oh, I didn't know that was possible. Or doesn't that contradict mm. what we've heard in the last? It's so complicated. If someone know? can help us with that, I'd love to know oh. because, <laughs> no, honestly, if, if we if we all get to the point where a jury is going, I can't agree on whether penalty. or not they got the penalty death phase. penalty yeah. uh, or if they should get the death penalty, but we all agree they did it. And so we go, well, that's a mistrial. It's just a disagreement. It's not a mistrial unless there was something that actually. It might be to do with the severity of the charge so because it's murder in the first degree and death penalty is on the table the mistrial might be about if we can't agree on it then we you know we can't go either way so we have to re-examine some evidence to try and get to penalty phase you would I, I think you would do that with the same jury right I don't, I don't think you would then go well let's take we'll we'll accept the guilty plea from this jury and then we'll go to another jury and we'll allow everyone to change their evidence if that's what they want to do because now we're not focusing on whether or not they're guilty. We're focusing on whether or not they tortured someone. You know, all of that to me is is nonsense. It doesn't it doesn't ring true to a justice system, which I guess is the point that you opened with. Well, if you were truly after justice, then not only would I, in a mistrial, call a mistrial, I'd have a different judge. I'd have a different jury. Well, I agree. Everything yeah. changes, right? You, yeah. Not, you don't... not every, most of it's the same except the jury. It's just bullshit. But, but this is the point where they've gone, we'll accept the the closest thing to a death penalty that we got out of the, pre, of, out of the mistrial, which is the guilty verdict, and then we'll take that over to the new trial. So that all of that other bit is off the table yeah. because it doesn't make sense to me. I don't. I don't get that. So, so I think there's an issue there, 100, that that I'm not comfortable with. I don't understand Jody at all. I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I think that someone, you know, like Scott Peterson, had the benefit of a team of people who were looking to find him innocent. Now, maybe Jody needs some help with that to find a credible alternative and maybe that will come over time. But as it stands at the moment, I go, my God, none of this rings true and she's not doing a very good well, job she's at a, all she's a not, of she's explaining. A terrible, she's a terrible witness. But it sounds like she's a guilty witness, not not just a terrible witness. I'm not, I'm not seeing well, anything here that yeah. makes me go... I don't think she did this. I don't I don't think there's enough evidence to beyond reasonable doubt convict her. Swanee, what do you reckon? What what are your thoughts? Uh well I'm totally baffled as to who did it, to be perfectly honest. I think there's too many questions. But it was so violent and so complete and it does come back to the fact that, you know excessive. It, it's also I'll give that a shot. I'll give that a shot. I'll have to do the like, I mean it's it's just the job has been done and in such a macabre way, I think. Whoever did it, I think that they definitely deserve some kind of comeuppance. And I, I don't know if it's her. Just then remember, she's, she's got she no be. priors. There's been yeah. no indication at any point in her 26 years of her having any previous violence of any sort. I understand that, but I don't. I don't necessarily. It's just something weird, like though. this is so massive off over, the over chart. The top. It's, yeah, it is. Do you know what Extra, I mean? Extra, as they yeah, say, the young it people is. say, because it feel, feels like you know. Uh, a gunshot wound probably could have done the job. 
as you said, it didn't, it didn't though. It, it very didn't, clearly didn't. But it could have. Yeah. But if they started with that already, but it could have enraged him. It would have enraged yeah. me if someone shot me in the head. And, yeah, but you know, this whole oh, idea of them oh. 27 times. Yeah, now that I've shot him in the head, I'm a, a victim of domestic violence because he's angry at me. It does, yes. It does seem yeah, odd that, it, that she didn't have, as you say, for someone who was so strong compared to her, that she didn't really have anything on her that would suggest that he was able to she get She did have a cut on her, though, didn't she? Like one small, single like a hand or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One tiny yeah, little. No, but... I, don't, I don't know how you could get the whole job done. It feels like there's a, a piece of the puzzle missing in terms of was he drugged, was he... And, you know, it's they'd weird, know if he was... It, it just doesn't add up, but it was. it's just the crime itself, if you just look at yeah. that in isolation and take all the mystery away from it, what a terrible, terrible thing to inflict on anybody. Correct. Like just yeah. so vicious and... It's brutal. A br- that's mm. exactly better word. Brutal. It's really Just a brutal. Terrible, terrible way for someone to leave this world. And I think I don't know how there can be a punishment because I don't know who to punish. But whoever it is, I hope that they're suffering. But I don't know that that is the case. I don't know. Sorry. Well, just think, well yeah, that. I'm not sure either. But I think um, I think what makes me so angry about it is that I don't know. You know, yeah. like not. It's the mystery yeah. that pisses me off. And we'll never know. Yeah. It's very frustrating. It, because you're right, it's so brutal. There's so much that doesn't add up. And that's why I go back to my frustration of that it was just so considered so cut and dried that we, yeah. didn't, we didn't pull the threads on that yep. fade. On that and that's what's not right. That I spoke because what beginning. happens yeah. is you end up focusing on all the other little bits. And you lost all this time. You lost yeah. good evidence. And you, you, you lose, lost stuff. You lose yourself yeah. in the things that possibly aren't as important. But, you know, when you just get down to what happened over that day, days or whatever else, Someone was committing a really heinous, heinous crime. Heinous crime. Sorry to say this, but some of the cuts on his back, I think there are about nine of them. Yeah. They actually look like slices. I think yeah. he was tortured. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that there's something in that because it's not, you know, that's done and then this is done. And if he's not pushing back or doing something, there must be something else to I don't know what it is. I hear what you're saying. I'm just going to end this on Rolling Stone magazine has an article about five convicted murderers who could well be innocent. Scott Pedersen's in there and so is Jodie Arias. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, there you have it. You know, apart from me being really irritated by the shit-ass defence, shit-ass investigation, hey, whatever, we don't, have to, we don't have to take anything, you know, we can be a hung jury. Let's call it a mistrial. Yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. get Judge Sherry What's-Her-Face to come and uh, sentence them. She'll probably let them all off. Yeah, it, mm. it's that whole thing of people doing a shit job up front. Correct. Let's, let's take the easy route. I, I get that it's 100%. I just don't see the alternative yet. No, it's fine. Someone, it's okay. someone does need to come in and, and revisit this, like they did That's with what Scott I think. Peterson. That's what I and think. But I, I think the tragedy is, tragedy is because she was depicted as a stalker, sex pest, nutcase. No one's interested. The majority of people aren't interested, and and that's the frustration. But anyway, all right. We've we've done three hours. You know, hopefully I'll edit this back. But yeah, this is a three hour. I told you it would be a long one. Mm. It fascinated me. I hope that you actually enjoyed that and went to tortured by it. Yeah, yeah. And as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Love you like a victim of stalking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. 
Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.